Hello, everyone. Welcome to Weekly Mock Recap. It's September 25th. That means it's the last Wednesday of September, which means it's time for the end of Sadistic September. Chris, I hope that you are ready for this shit. We've been preparing all month for this. He's Chris. I'm Nick. We're going to talk about manga today. Uh, we've actually got a lot of manga to talk about, but before we get into the stuff that we love slash love to regularly riff on, we have got to talk about this series that we uh, read for this week that um, I was a little bit worried was going to put me on a list. Um, it's okay, officer. I was doing it for a podcast. It's fine. <laughs> you think the FBI will accept that as justification? Because there were points where I was like, "Oh, I'm going to say I'm going to screenshot a picture of this to save, so I can like nope. keep it for notes later." And I was like, "I don't know if I want this it's <laughs> saved to the phone, my picture gallery on my phone." You're going to have to like clear the browser history, clear the ca- the the browser cache. Uh, after... oh, I, I have to like set fire to the phone and then like burn my fingerprints off. Maybe melt a new face onto me. I'm going to have to start all over from here on in. Sh- shove your devices in an electromagnet just to be safe. Yeah. The series that we uh, read for this um, for this year's edition of Sadistic September, uh, which we have covered such uh monumental uh, series as air gear the prince of tennis well it's what we've done for this month specifically Flame, Flame was last year yeah um this year we covered kodomo no jikan also known as nymphet um it is a series that has an odd reputation to it uh mostly it's kind of infamous for being the series that was too controversial to print in America after it had, it had been licensed already. Um, about seven-ish years ago, maybe a little bit less than that, uh, the manga licensing group Seven Seas Entertainment was going to bring it to uh, English-speaking audiences. And then uh, there was a bunch of hubbubaloo about the uh, content of the series there were stores that said, yeah, we're not going to stock that. And so the president said, yeah, okay, we're not going to actually print this. But don't worry, everyone, because there was a Kickstarter campaign (laughs) to get this series licensed so that you, the English-speaking reader, could in fact read it. And so it's Phil now, I guess. Hooray! It's saved from those tyrants of censorship that don't want you reading the kitty porn. Um, I should say that it's probably a good thing that the series did not turn out to be quite what I was expecting it to be. Because from the reputation that preceded it, and from the first chapter or two uh, that I read before deciding, okay, this is going to be our really bad manga that we're going to talk about this year. I thought it was just going to be a continuous wave of eight-year-old girls drawn in sexual positions. uh, Lots and lots of fan service that would make me grossed out and uncomfortable. And there is plenty of that all throughout the series, but it's not quite as dense uh, after the first 
20 or so chapters, it starts to get a little bit more sporadic. Just a little bit. I was going to say, I'm not sure I agree with this assessment completely. Never, but... never fully goes away. I'm pretty sure that there's at least one example of it in each chapter. But honestly, I, I will be completely 100% honest. I started to just grow numb to it eventually. Like it's it eventually finally reached the point where I was just like I just stopped being shocked and disgusted by the more run of the mill examples of it. And I was just like, OK, fine, whatever. She's bending over and showing her panties. I don't give a shit. You know, I just just do the next stupid thing in this series. But it turns out that there is a plot to this story uh, and the plot is also bad. So we actually this is actually a good thing because that means we've got more to talk about for this discussion. Otherwise, I would just say. It's gross pedophile shit. I didn't like it. If you're into gross pedophile shit, can't say that I don't judge you, but hey, here you go. Whatever. Um, and that's it. That would be the only thing that I could say about it because like, it is not for me. I disagree with people who are into it uh, vehemently. Um, like There are a whole lot of different like fetishes and stuff that I'll be like, you know, whatever, knock yourself out. Kitty porn? No. Not, not, not doing that. Uh, line that I won't cross. Uh, but there's more to talk about. So, yeah, we actually are going to get to do a proper review uh, of this series. Aren't you lucky? Uh, I just want to note <laughs> that you mentioned at the top, Sadistic September started because people were like, oh, I want you guys to do an air gear review because you know, Chris has always talked about for a while. And I was like, all right, we'll do an air gear review. I was like, ah, we'll just keep this up. We'll just start talking about these really bad series and stuff like that. Uh, and I think we, I don't know when we turned the corner uh, from, hey, we'll just, let's look at this bad, shitty, like, shonen series with, like, its stupid battle powers and stuff like that to just, like, oh, my God. I'm, <laughs> I, I know someone's judging me for this. There's some monitoring service that's just dinging over and over again that it's recognizing I'm reading this or something like that. I think that I'm I'm not going to declare, but I'm going to express my hope that we're going to turn back around the corner from now on. Oh, I can tell you we are picking the next one next. Yeah. Next year, we're just going to do like, I don't know. I already know like, what we're doing next year. Flame of Wrecka 2, <laughs> something like that. Something that's bad for stupid reasons, now, because the, the, the because the protagonist is a douchebag yeah. or something like that. No more like it is super gross and uncomfortable and controversial. Just like, no, just it's it's in our wheelhouse and it's something that we should like and we don't. And we can talk authoritatively about why it's bad is because it's, you know, a shitty series that's supposed to be something that we should like. Mm. So. So I, I, I'll, I'll go up front with this to everybody. So I had a tremendous time reading this manga it's a very difficult manga to read one because yeah. it is just poorly written uh, like it's very confusing to kind of understand what's happening at times there's a lot of like cross bubble speech it's difficult to kind of follow everything particularly if you forget small instances that it calls back to which happens when you have no emotional engagement with this series whatsoever <laughs> uh, but two uh, obviously it is a very nauseating series to read i i am adding absolutely no input on this series in terms of lully fan service or whatever it is but i will express that i have absolutely no interest in it and it is extremely uncomfortable so the way i read i read this manga and i i'll admit out on the front i only got about halfway through this thing 
because I physically continue. It's okay, Chris. I'll 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 get us through this. I was gonna say I'm I'm glad. Uh, but I would physically get like nauseous after reading this series for a little like for a couple chapters at a time. So I would read the series primarily through my phone. I would get about three chapters in, and I'd I'd have to put the phone down. And I'd have to go do something else. I'd have to go and go out. I'd have to maybe go out for a walk, uh, you know, watch a show, maybe maybe even something just like going and grabbing a drink or going to the bathroom. No, stuff that I, nothing I needed to do, but just I had to separate myself from the phone. And then I would come back, and I only noticed that I was doing this after like the third or fourth time. I'd pick up the phone, and I'd breathe in oh, like no. I was about to dive underwater. I'd be like... <sighs> And then you just you keep reading it again. You're like, oh my god, this is what it's become. I had a similar experience. Uh, I, I had to because I was I was putting off reading this series, so I got about halfway through the month or so, and then I was like, I've got to read it. Uh, and so I picked up the series, and I'm like, okay, how many chapters do I have to read? And I I was like, okay, there's 93 chapters. It's monthly chapters, so they're a little bit longer. Uh, but still, I was like, geez, 93 chapters. Um, I can do that. And so I held myself to, I've got to do 10 chapters a day. I've got to, so I, I'm not even going to be like, oh, I'll do it on, like, on average. I'm like, no, 10 chapters a day, solid. That way I don't, you know, wander off and I, and I meet my target. And I managed to finish it. Uh, I actually put out a tweet when I did finish it on like Monday, yeah, like Monday or something. And there was a point where if you're, if you follow me on Twitter, you can see that I go like, I can't read any more per day while I'm reading this because it literally gives me a headache and I can't read anymore. I will, I will go crazy. It, it's, it was that bad. Like I said, uh, it got to a point where I started to grow numb to the series. Uh, and, I don't know what that says about me. Then I'm like, yeah, I read the Lolicon series. No problem. <laughs> but It was hard getting to that point. It was like Chris, when you play an RPG and if you just get hit by arrows enough, your armor class goes up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, it's like playing Morrowind. Sometimes you just let enemies beat up on you for a little bit. And your shield score goes up for some reason. And you're like, boom, I'm a better character now because of it, I guess isn't that a fun way to play a game uh -huh. so that was what happened with me okay that is all i'm gonna say about the actual nature of the content of the series now we have to actually get into the concepts and the plot and the characters so at first it seems as though it's just like an excuse to put these little girls in these sexual positions and stuff like that We've got uh, these three. They start off as third graders in the series, uh, and they're all uh, in the same class with this homeroom teacher. The main crux of the plot is that the uh, lead girl, uh, Rin Kokonoe, is in love with their teacher, Aoki. Why? Uh -huh. um, so she doesn't just have like a schoolgirl crush on him. She wants to fuck him. She's like eight and she wants to fuck him and she keeps on doing stuff like aggressively sexual for her age. She keeps on, you know, flashing him her panties, trying to strip her clothes off in front of him, saying, eh, you know what? 
I what was the name like uh, Pazuzu? I think was the name of the demon in uh, the Exorcist who says, you know, you, you says all the, blah, blah, you know, the those kind of like. Imagine you know her her or it or whatever saying stuff in a little girl's voice. So you know, I want just you to stick your penis inside of me and fuck me hard. You know that kind of that kind I, of thing. I, I I think we need to establish and clear the air on this. So people maybe when they hear this are like, oh, it's a series about a little girl who kind of has love with her teacher. It's a little bit sexually suggested. You have to understand that this is like as raunchy as possible. Oh like, yeah, there's, she, there's moments where she, she pantomimes she, blowing him underneath the desk, and you're like, "What is happening? Why am I watching this?" Multiple times, it's like her go-to move is to say, "Like I'll suck your dick," you know. Is and she talks about him, or what? Rather, she talks about her wanting him to like tear her hymen. Uh, she keeps on, she's like I don't know where she learned all this stuff. Well, actually, I do. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we'll we get to do, that. We do have a reason for why. Um, Aoki is a terrible teacher. Uh, he's like, I think he starts off the series like 23 years old or something like that. Yeah. So you're like, oh, he's young for a teacher. She is in single digits. Okay. There is oh, no way. When you said that, I was like, yeah, he's young for a teacher. He's still kind of learning. If someone was trying to rationalize these two, you're a monster. No, no, no. <laughs> like, Come on. If we want to get into like the whole teacher student dynamic, I think that if you have like a college student and like a student teacher, then there is a matter of like, OK, there are moral reasons why they shouldn't be in a relationship in terms of power uh, advantages that one would have over the other, that kind of thing. Um, but you at least with that, you don't have to consider, well, there's a huge age gap and stuff like that. They're, they're going to be separated by only a few years and they're both in their 20s. You know, who cares about that kind of thing? Older than college age, single digits. Fuck off. There is no way that relationship is ever going to be OK for any reason. If he knows her when he's that age and she's that age, even if you're like, oh, what if they waited? No, never going to be OK. Always going to be creepy. They they can both be eighty years in the future and they'll still be like, hey, remember when I when you were a little girl and you said you wanted to suck on it? Be creepy. Anyway, he is a terrible teacher because he never manages to get this behavior to stop. He just is like, stop it! Like he's this you know boy her age who's getting teased and he has no idea how to address it. If now I am sure that in the many years of human history there have been grade school kids who have performed this way, you know, they have acted out in a way that is bizarre, sexually explicit kind of language, that kind of thing. If that happens and you can't get us put a stop to it, you've got to reprimand the kid. You've got to talk to the parents. You've got to do something. Okay. If you are unable to stop it and it goes unchecked for three years plus, then you're not doing your job as a teacher. And a lot of this series is about Aoki's career as a teacher. So say, the excuse they use is that Aoki is his name. Uh, I just <laughs> call him teacher. In fact, uh, just to give you guys examples, uh, it's Kokonoe, uh, teacher, uh, cat girl, third girl, big boob <laughs> teacher, and then other characters, assorted characters <laughs> as needed, essentially is how I refer to everyone in this series. The way they try to describe it though, is that Aoki is a new teacher, He's also a virgin. 
Uh, the idea is he's never even been kissed. He has very like little social skills when it comes to like other people, particularly the other sex. And he's a very nervous and shy and easily like overwhelmed kind of person. But he cares a lot about mm-hmm. his students. Like that's that's how this whole thing starts. Is the first chapter. It's like Kokonoe is like kind of weird and aggressive with them, but they're like, oh, well, there's one student in this class who no longer attends anymore because she was being bullied essentially and. And Aoki goes out and basically gets this girl to come back to the class because he actually cares. And that is what gets Rin to fall in love with him because she's like, she used to just be a problem child for other teachers. Kind of, they almost insinuate like almost like an evil child to the teachers, like an insidious Dennis the Menace. Uh, <laughs> but he does that, so he wins over her trust that way. But she, he's still very easily intimidated by other people. Mm-hmm. And we do eventually find that he is trying to like i think it's only like five chapters into it he like talks about going to visit her home and he he sees kind of the situation going on there and he can't place his finger up he's like something's weird i don't know what uh and then you know at least for the part that i read it 30 chapters go by and he's just like hey whatever <laughs> uh, you know it's eventually this will stop we'll get into that we'll get into that whole thing yeah the other girls in the class are what I forget what what bunny girl's name is. I think it's Mimi. I think anyway, it's, oh the third girl. I know. Yeah, the class is girl. Glass I, I was gonna say I know it's Kuro, and then the other one's just third girl. Yeah, I think that there were like three main girls just so that they could have three different body types to put in, in you know weird sexual positions. That was my impression from the get go. I was like, oh, this girl's further along in her adolescence, so she's got boobs. This girl is even more of a lowly than. Uh, Reen is that so that's why they're all three of them are there uh Mimi is like the nerdy girl she's this big awkward uh glasses wearing girl uh Kuro is a man-hating lesbian which is a little bit weird but whatever uh she's in love with Reen and she hates uh Aoki because Reen is in love with Aoki uh that's about it um that's just kind of how they start off it turns out that Almost everyone in the series has weird parental issues, um, which goes into like the theme of the series of like what should be the role of a teacher in raising a child, uh, which. Um, and also, why does Rin act out the way that she does, Chris? Why does why is she so um, troubled? Oh, it's gotta well, be, it's got to be South Park, right? That's what's poisoning the minds yeah. of kids today. Wait, no, it's uh, it's rock music. That's what. Wait, no, it's violent video games. Video games. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's poisoning the minds of the youth. So uh, it turns out that uh, her parents are dead, or not her parents, just her mom or her dad. Was, uh, her dad's not in her life. Uh, her parents got separated before she was born because her dad wanted her mother to get uh, an abortion. Uh, and so her mother raised her. Uh, then they took in this like second cousin or something like that of hers named Reiji. Reiji was like 17 or 18 when her mother took her in. Reen was like six. And uh, but then her mother, it turns out, had got leukemia and died. Before this, Reiji uh, and Aki, Reen's mom, 
uh, fell in love or more more ragey fell in love with her and he started like making out on her and aki was just like no no we can't okay and so they <laughs> you know that is i think actually verbatim how one of the scenes go it's like no no not with rin here and then he still she just keeps happening and then it's like it pan shots over and rin's right there you're like i don't understand did she have an issue with this or not it, it really it just kind of goes like no no we can't do this you're so much younger than me and we're related and okay they're <laughs> in a relationship now because like, one thing you need to establish is they don't really at least in the part that i got to ever really portray ragey and the mom's relationship as like a toxic or like negative relationship no, they ha- they no. had a pure-hearted romantic love between them that was cut short only because of a disease and the mother's need to uh not she was like i'm gonna sacrifice my life for you guys so you'll have more money because yeah. the, the 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 therapy to get me better would be too expensive and i want you guys to live happy yeah, it would be really expensive, and there is not a very great chance that it would work. You know, she yeah. makes a pretty strong point, honestly, when you analyze in terms of like the amount of money that would keep me alive for six months could you know help Rin to live for three years. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I get that. Um, but this greatly affects Reiji, whose parents didn't care a lot about him and all and then died. And so no one really wanted to take care of him because he seemed like he wasn't sad at their funeral. Um, And then he came, he found Aki and she loved him and she filled this huge hole in his heart. And then she died. So Reiji now raises Rin uh, as a father. And for the first three chapters uh, that you learn, this is like, oh, that's actually really sweet and you know really gets you into the head into his head okay now none of this explains why rin is messed up well it turns out that reiji is grooming rin to replace aki and that is super gross it it is literally explained at one point because that's sort of the impression that that aoki gets he's like there's something weird going on in this house and then he sees Mm -hmm. that they kind of share like a little bit more like, kisses that you're like, that doesn't seem like a family kind of kiss sort of thing. But hey, you know what? Tom Brady kisses his kids on the lips. Why can't they? Titus but, O'Neil kisses his kids on the lips. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they, they dig a little further into it. And then eventually it comes out that there's definitely something going on there. To the point where Alki talks to him and Ragey explains, he's like, I'm not having sex with her. Her body's still developing. I tear it apart. But... I am going to wait until she's 16 and then marry her and then I'll fuck her. And I'm the hero. You're like, it's a weird thing that at first you're like, well, that's horrifying on many, many levels. But the thing that kills me is he kind of stays a character and then they give him jokes. There's a scene where uh, one of the girls has her period for the first time. He's like the only adult there. And he's like, what? They didn't teach you girls what to do when like fem- female menstruation happens. And he thinks he's like, "Ugh, that worthless high school virgin teacher can't do anything right. And I'm like, you, dude, you're grooming a child to be your bride. What are you? What? What am I supposed to laugh at? Like you're, these wacky shenanigans happening around you. 
It's really weird because at first he is, you know, when this is revealed, it's like he is rightfully portrayed as this antagonistic force. He is this person that it is not good for Rin to be around. Um, and Rin is caught in the situation where she doesn't want to do this, but also she thinks that Reiji will kill himself if she is not in his life. So she's like, so I'll just marry him. Yeah, I'll let I'll let that happen. Um, it is very not healthy and it's very bad. And Aoki is like, OK, he's got to be the hero who gets her out of that situation so he can fuck her instead. Uh, and. But ignoring putting that to the side, which, by the way, the fact that it's like it's bad for Reiji to want to sleep with Rin. We need Aoki, who is the same age, to sleep with Rin. Who's in almost exactly the same situation. Pretty where, much. Where he is He is someone who is not her figure. Yeah, he is a he is a, a surrogate kind of father figure, but not really her father. Therefore, it's okay for him. <laughs> anyway. But... Yeah, then, like you say, it goes on and it's like, well, we need to keep Reiji around. And also Reiji needs to, like, not be the most hateable character because we want him to be the love interest for 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 Rin's friend. And also he needs to stick around and be redeemed at the end. And so he becomes a much more lighthearted character where the issue of him raising Rin is treated with way less dignity and respect that and weight than it deserves and they're even like honestly one of the first times i actually laughed at this series was because there was a joke at reiji's expense where aoki basically says like uh well i saved the page and it's here it's like hey you know you remind me of the boys in my class and he goes on to describe like yeah you know boys will do who will teach tease kids and stuff but you know it just exposes the fact that they're really mentally childish and then reiji like you see his thought sequence where it goes from like it's like he compared me to the boys in his class then he said the boys in his class are childish he just called me childish and it, it, it's like that's funny but then you go back and think like wasn't this guy leaving hickeys on rin's neck all creepy <laughs> like, <laughs> i was like and there's there, like the idea that there's ever a situation where the 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 premise of the joke is like Reiji is so exhausted by the the silliness of the characters around him. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't want you to be put upon, good <laughs> sir. I'm glad this manga has a compelling straight man for me to be engaged with. It's like, no, you're weird. Call child protective services for God's sakes. There's a point where Aoki decides that Rin is in a really bad living situation at home. So he moves in briefly with them and it's like, oh, Rage is really upset because there's this guy here who he's got to feed too. And he keeps on being mad at him for messing up the place. It's like, call the police. <laughs> like, it's, it, I, 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 there's many times when you're reading a series and you're like, I wish they would do the one thing that would solve it. And then you recognize, you're like, well, I guess there's no series. And I, I think this is maybe the best example I have to the contrary, where it's just like, no, I don't know if Alki needs to find a solution to this himself. He just needs to call Child Protective Services or somebody <laughs> instead of his weird other plans to, like, convince the eight-year-old she needs to get out of this relationship <laughs> or something like it's such a weird series to have to read and you're like you'll get one chapter where like the child bride thing happens and mm -hmm. then it's like the next chapter and it's like 
the girls try on bras and you're like what is like what is this like what is this mood whiplash that we keep getting so the problem with the or the justification for why Aoki takes no action to get Rin out of this situation is you know Rin tells him like I'm worried that Reiji's going to die and even though I don't want this to happen I lo- I do love him and I don't want anything to happen to him but so Aoki's like, well, I guess that, you know, if this is what she wants, then this is what you know, it's got to be, which that's not the way that it works. Like, look, you can't trust like an eight year old or nine year old or whatever to have the knowledge and the wisdom to know what is best for their family situation. Uh, there are just times when you have to think about what is actually best for them. And regardless of the, you know, look, love is a very important thing in a family, but it is not the only thing. Um, there was this movie uh, called I Am Sam, which where Sean Penn plays this father who has an intellectual disability and there is this like court case uh, to determine whether he is mentally fit to actually care for his daughter because like her mother dies. I think I have I have never seen the movie. I cannot attest to its quality personally, but its reputation is that it was lambasted for the fact that it is sympathetic to him and is like, oh, well, yeah, he is right to take care of this girl because he loves her the most. And it's like, well, no, because if you see the way that, you know, he acts throughout the movie, you can tell that it's not going to be good for this girl to be raised by him. It's just not the best fit for her, even if they do greatly love each other and want to be together. She needs a an environment where she can be raised properly. And that was what I was thinking when I was going through this. Like, look, I get your worried, Rin, but get the fuck out of there. <laughs> like, it's also worth noting that while it's explicitly mentioned he does not seem to have sexual relations with her, there's definitely yet. other stuff going on. And one of the like the most unnerving parts is that she kind of has to coddle him. Like, he has nightmares mm-hmm. and will go to her bedroom and asks if he can sleep with her and like cuddle up. And she has to kind of be the parent to like put her arm over him, and be like, it's okay, it's okay. And you're like, I mean, she's eight. Like, obviously, this is partly why she's kind of maturing so quickly is that she's having a lot of weird responsibility thrust on her super early on mm-hmm. from this very kind of toxic relationship. And then, yeah, then the next chapter, it's like, hey, do you want to see my dress up? It flipped over my head again or something like that. You're like, I don't get what we're doing anymore. So that is the main conflict in the series is what is going to happen with with Reen in this situation. Uh, And who is going to win in the love triangle? Which guys are you going to choose? But there is other stuff as well that's good that goes on. And here is the part that's weird. There are actually some elements of the series that I thought were actually good because there are characters who don't get into uh, questionable uh, relationships. There is a side character, one of the other teachers at the school named Shirai. 
and almost everything involving her is just like I would prefer the series to just be focused on her because there's never a point in it at all where it seems as though she is going to enter into a relationship with an underage person. And through her, you get a lot of the explorations of the stuff that the other parts of it are supposed to be exploring anyway. Like what should be the role of a teacher in raising a child? What kind of uh, an effect do the your experiences as a child and your relationship with your parents have on the kind of person you become as an adult? And she does a lot of introspection and a lot of contemplation of these kinds of things, thinking about herself, thinking about how she should treat the students at the school, thinking about how fit she would be as a mother if she were to have a child, uh, how she is going to possibly enter into a relationship when she is the way that she is. And it's all stuff that's like, all right, this writer is capable of doing stuff. There is also at one point uh, recently on Twitter, someone said that uh, the author of the series, who is a woman, amazingly, uh, was a former school teacher. I didn't see a source on that, so I don't know if that's true. Uh, but they definitely do have a lot of thoughts and uh, regarding what a teacher, how a teacher should act towards their students. And there are a lot of questions to ask about that kind of stuff. That's all well and good. The issue is that the is the answers that they come to, um, because. <sighs> all right. So Alki, do we need to spoiler alert everybody? Like, guys, in case in case you've been listening to this and you want to read the rest of the series, uh, I don't really want to. I don't really want to get you know no. ahead of it, you know. But basically, what happens is Alki goes through a lot of reflection of like how he feels about Rin. Uh, all throughout the series, his feelings towards her change. At first, he's frustrated by her. Then he starts to understand her better. Then he becomes protective of her. About halfway through, he's like, ah, this feeling I feel towards Rin is that of a father towards a daughter. It's like, you are thinking a little bit too much about her panties for that to be true. But ugh. but basically, he kind of like tells himself that it's OK for him to feel as much about Rin as he does, because like, it's OK. It's just a fatherly feeling towards someone. That's the kind of love that I feel. Uh and then there reaches a point like there's about 20 ish chapters left in the series by the point that this happens and Aoki and the other teachers are brought in by like the principal because there have been these complaints about the way that some of the te one of the teachers is like handling the students. There's this whole plot about this message board that, that keeps coming back. Basically, the elementary school kids have gotten onto 2chan and are complaining about the teachers. It's not actually 2chan, but it's 2chan. Um, and the so one of them like posts about like, oh, yeah, this teacher like, you know, touched me this way or something like that. And so they have to be brought in and they have to be asked about like, hey, you know, have you been touching you know your students? And you know, it's not appropriate to like hug them or anything like that even. Uh, and there's even a point where like Shirai had had this big moment early in the series where uh, Kuroko, who really takes a liking to her, uh, was really upset. And Shirai comforted her by giving her a hug. While she was in this weird mascot costume. But anyway, she broke down, stopped being really proper and by the rules and stuff and gave her a hug. So there's that. It's like, was that appropriate? That kind of thing. And Alki has this 
big speech that he gives. And the speech that he gives essentially boils down to like, we are encouraged to show affection towards our students. So why is it inappropriate for that affection to turn to love? And it's like, hold on. (laughs) Is this why it's okay for you to fuck that girl? Because if that's the reason why it's okay for you to fuck that girl, then go to hell. So we're t- as teachers, we are told to love our students. So why is it wrong for me to love my students? <laughs> He's like, there's only one definition of love. That's what this means. And it's like, so, but like that, like resolves the situation. They're like, you're right, Aoki. We should be allowed to love our students, and just like none of them realize that he's actually talking about like, yeah, I want to, I'm gonna fuck that girl, because that's actually like around the point where he has actually admitted to himself that he feels romantic affection for Rin. He feels he's gotten past the whole like, oh, it's just fatherly feelings. Oh, she's just an important student to me. It's like, no, no, no. He is like taken with her by this point and he is struggling with what that means. He has the the big boobed sensei had confessed to him while they were on a school trip and he had to reject her because I'm in love with somebody else. And it was Rin and he's like, but I can't do anything about that because, you know, she that would be wrong. And he has these weird fucking justifications for it that happen. At one point, he thinks to himself, I'm in love with Rin, but I'm not a lowly con. That's not why I love her. What the fuck? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I get what you're trying to say. You're, you're trying to say is like, well, the reason I love Rin isn't because she's, you know, underage. It's because I love her. And therefore, it's OK for me to love her, even though it's under she's underage. It's like, no, 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 no. That is not how that I'm works. Like, My man. I don't know. <laughs> Holy shit, dude. You're not a, you're not you don't love a little girl because you're a lowly con. You're a lowly con because you love little girls. Like that's like it's so fucking weird. And oh man. Like I don't I've got these notes that I took. I took notes very differently for this series because they're more like like a diary of me slowly going insane for the first little bit of it. There's a lot of all capital letters and screams and extended syllables typed out and stuff. It's all but then insanity it, as it like slowly gets further and further in. But then occasionally I'll just have these moments of pure lucid hatred. Like the fact that Aoki thinks of the girls in erotic poses while they wear lingerie disturbs me more than the fact that Kuro has a Kokonoi themed Dakimakura, which she does because that's one of that's one that's one of Kuroko's two other traits. Which it, besides loving Rin, is the fact that she's rich and throws her money around to uh, get by in life. Uh, it's, it's insane how inconsistently Shirai Center chapters are better than the garbage that the rest of the series is. There's nothing wrong with exploring the developing emotions and physiques of adolescent girls in a manga. It's the ceaseless efforts to sexualize every part of it and then act like there's nothing wrong or taboo apart, uh, taboo about it. Like, there are a lot of things in this series that 
no other manga I've read has explored, like girls experiencing their first period, girls who are experiencing sexual lust for the first time. And there's ways that you can do that and have a good series. And sometimes that is demonstrated in this series. It is the fact that it is used to get people's rocks off who are reading it. Like it's not. So, and the author doesn't get this. Like it really bothers me. So the closest thing I can think of when it comes to, cause you, you brought up a good point and there is actually something interesting in that. The closest thing I can think to, and this is weird that this is the equivalency I'm able to make, but the closest thing I could think of, is the Netflix series Big Mouth, where I'm like, it's a comedy show that explores kids going through puberty. Right. And the big difference there is obviously, like, that's a show for comedy, and it doesn't, like, Mm -hmm. sexualize those things. Like, it doesn't try to make it erotic. In fact, it makes jokes about the fact that they're like, yeah, I don't know how this doesn't get qualified as, like, child porn. Like, if they show you an image of something, it's, I mean, not educational. I don't know if they ever show it to kids to be like, this is for educational purposes. But that's clinically what it's supposed to be. It's like, if they're going to show you a penis in it, it's going to be because it's for the clinical educational reasons. Whereas in this series, if you're seeing something like, they're like, oh, uh, third girl needs to get a, a bra. So where does she get her bra? Of course, from the lacy lingerie section. And uh, mm-hmm. all the girls try on lacy lingerie. It's just like, I don't understand like what like you have something that's kind of like a place where you could tell a story but it always pulls itself into weird far more sexualized version of it than it needs to be like it's that chapter in particular is one of the weirder ones and it's right towards the front of it but it's actually one of the few chapters that, looking back, I was like, it kind of has a nice, well-written twist to it. Because it's it's a chapter that is supposed to be about maturity. And obviously, it's about the physical maturity, as it's the chapter the third girl starts growing, uh, apparently, gigantic boobs. Because there's, like, a title page joke that one of the teachers is like, her boobs are bigger than mine! And I'm like, I don't know why someone would say that, but whatever. Um, so, it, it's about that, but then it becomes this side story about the maturity of the girls emotionally and how Alki's just like, these girls just don't mature, particularly referring to Rin, but leads to this uh, great moment. And I say great ironically because it's <laughs> stupid. It's, it's one of the like poorest written moments in the series, but I love it for that is because of course, everything that has to be private about the school is then filtered out to everybody. Alki knows that the girls are shopping for bras and he thinks to himself, if only there was a bra for the heart. And he thinks about it with, like, romantic lettering and, like, imagery behind it. Like, a whimsical, like, background and, like, love mist flying around. If only there were a screw to stop this (laughs) sorrow. You're like, someone wrote this line, like, what if there was a bra? For the heart. And you're like, what? What am I meant to take away from this? It gets... It's really weird because... The author of this series clearly understands, okay, it is considered societally unacceptable for an underage person to have a relationship with their adult teacher. But they don't seem to understand why that is. Because a lot of times it'll be portrayed as a joke. 
essentially what the moral of the story is, is that as long as it's true love, it's okay. And you know what? It isn't. I'm sorry. Like there, you cannot there's, 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 trust yeah. that someone that young is capable of actually being emotionally mature enough to make that decision. Let's, That's just it. Let's even thought exercise this where it's like, let's say she is. Let's say logic be damned and she is emotionally mature enough. Alki is not her true love because if he was truly really in love with her and he wanted what's best for her, he would not be engaged in this. He'd recognize there's clearly a weird home life going on and that that can create social issues going forward and that needs to be addressed and she needs to be given an environment to thrive in and not have to have this weird, like, overly codependent relationship with her brother who also acts like her father. Like, there's stuff going on that needs to be addressed. You can't just be like, but he really loves her and that's the end of it because that's not how love or relationships work and even that mm -hmm. feeling of love isn't like like that i don't I, look up limerence anyway so it's just it's like it doesn't work that way to just be like but they love each other and it's like they probably won't in five years and then this is going to be a real awkward story about your ex to have to tell the people the that's basically what it comes down to is that you know what yes maybe rin does have all these issues going on, stuff like that. But as the adult in the relationship, it is on Alki to do the responsible thing that, you know, as the teacher, it is on him to do the responsible thing. Uh, that is what it means to be in a position of authority in this case. <sighs> so. I mean, like, there's weird examples of the way that, uh, the author of the series, Watashiya Kawaru, has reacted to, like, the reception to the series. Uh, apparently, when she heard about the controversy in the series, which was why it wasn't getting printed, she was like, oh, yeah, apparently it's just like a cultural difference. Like, in the West, apparently, if you take a bath with a child, then it's like you can go to jail for it. And I, and which is, like, not true. Um, like if if you need to bathe with a young kid who's you know too small to do it without drowning, then like no one's gonna do anything about that. But so bit of a research failure. But her collusion was just like, oh well, there's nothing I can do about it. It's like no, no, you need to have some introspection on this. Whatever. There was another thing that happened um, where when the series was getting printed in its magazine, where. Another one of the mangaka who had a, a series being printed in it at the time uh, posts on Twitter complaining about the fact that they had heard there were some stores that were not uh, shelving the magazine because some of the stuff in it had, you know, weird sexual expressions in it that they didn't want to be put up. So he complained about this and she replied to him being like, are you talking about me? <laughs> and he's like. I just wish that, you know, people would actually follow like the codes that so that I, this, the magazine can be put up. And she's like, I work really hard to make sure that it goes within that code. And it's like, you're so close to understanding it. Like you don't 
get the reasons behind why the shit that you put in the series is bad. You just think, oh, well, it's because people are too sensitive and they don't understand. It's like, no, fuck you. You don't understand why it's uh, why it's wrong for a 20 year old teacher to want to fuck his 10 year old student. All right. That's it. And how weirdly sexual it has to be like, I don't know if I could properly express this enough to people. This is so, this is beyond the most vulgar that I think I've ever read a series like this. Like, we read actual pornography in Akisora. Yeah. Even that, I don't think, was as aggressively sexual. Like, there's a scene where she, like, spills, like, cream all over her face. And it's clearly (laughs) meant to mimic the idea of, like, a blowjob and cum. And it's, there's things, like, it's constant in that way. There's, like tons of moments that are just on that scale that you're like i don't you can't like hide behind this idea of like masturbation shouldn't be considered dirty or anything like that because i don't think it necessarily should but this isn't maybe the way that it should be executed for that argument to make it to like hold water there's stuff like oh man i'm gonna get into like okay so I'm just going to get towards the end now because we need to kind of wrap this conversation and move on. Um, and also because we're close to the point of exhausting everything in this series because it look, I'll just say it. The very nature of the series undercuts any merit that you could possibly have because it takes the stance that, yes, it's OK to sexualize little girls and it's OK for adults to want to sleep with children uh, as long as they're 16 basically is what it comes away with uh which look i know that the law in japan is like you have to have like be in an established relationship or married or something like that or have permission or something like that in order for an adult relationship with a 16 year old to be okay and beyond that they've got to be 18 look there's more to what makes a sexual relationship okay or not okay besides the letter of the law anyway so any merit the series could have is ruined by the fact that it takes that stance. There are some instances that show that the series could have potential if it got away from that. But literally any time that something happened and tried to make this big deal about something, I'm like, look, your conclusion is that it's OK for that douchebag to sleep with that little girl. And that is the reason behind what he is doing. So I don't care what he is saying. And some of the stuff that it comes up, it ha- takes on this really uncomfortable tone as a result of that. The whole thing where he's like, you know, what? Teachers aren't allowed to love their students, blah, blah, blah. He at one point, like, gives a speech where he's like, the entire country is falling into, you know, disarray because, uh, like, the birth rate is down and stuff like that. And and I kept on, like, tacking on to, like, onto that stuff, like, and that's why we need to sleep with children, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> so. Also, just just a general note, this is actually nothing to do with any of that. There are two points in the series where it just completely repeats itself that I thought were weird. There's one point about 40 chapters in where literally it just takes the plot of, a, of like chapter two or three and just does it over again. Uh, and then there's a point where the literal climax of the series haha, is like in terms of like the big dramatic thing that happens at the end where all the stakes are really high is that 
Um, now, Chris, you said you only got about halfway through the series. Yes. I, I, okay. I did not experience the ending because I okay. I couldn't get physically further. Okay, but you've read chapter one, right? Yeah, obviously. Okay, Wait, so, no. so chapter... Let me make sure you've got this here. 80... I think chapter 87 through 89 of this 93 chapter series deal with an issue of a student says that the principal of the school has been touching them inappropriately. So Rin decides to take action herself by dressing up really sexily, pretending that she's sick so that she'll be taken into the principal's office, isolated and alone, and to record anything that he does to her on her cell phone. But, you know, Chris... Does that sound familiar to you at all? <laughs> oh. Oh. Does so. It... All right. So the same thing in chapter one happens as the big dramatic conclusion of the story. But things go differently, Chris, because things don't go as Rin planned. I was and... going to say, I'm, I'm guessing it doesn't go the same way. No, because that was played for comedy in chapter one, where she, where he's just like, oh, what, you recorded me? No! <laughs> and this one, like, her cell phone battery dies, and, like, he starts to finger her, and Aoki has to burst in through the door and save her, and it's a big dramatic hero moment, and, and it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> you just just doing the same thing, but this time it's, you know, no, it's... It's the big dramatic thing as opposed to, oh, that rambunctious Kokonoi Rin. Nothing can stop her. She always gets her way. Look at her take down this actual pedophile, which makes all the implied pedophilia in the series okay. I love that it's like, that's the only real monster here. The rest of us who want relationship with children are very healthy. Like That's such uh, a fucking bullshit thing that the series keeps doing. This is the pedophilia that's bad. This is the pedophilia that's okay. So the principal gets busted after that because fucking Alki saves her. I should note that there was a point earlier on where um, they were worried. Uh, oh, so third girl, um, because she's so sexy, question mark, uh, starts to get like she gets like uh there's this notice that's going around the school that there's like this uh, child molester on the loose. So all the kids are like Brian for lockdown, but she doesn't get word about it. She's already going through the playground where it turns out he's hiding out and he grabs her. But fortunately she's got like this like uh, alarm thing on her and it rings and like ragey comes and saves her. Yay. Ragey's good now. Um, and so she thinks to herself, I fucking kick. Ki- no, 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 no. No, hold ahead. on. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because of Wednesday Dale Cheddar's comment in the chat. The only way to get a bad guy with pedophilia is with a good guy with pedophilia. <laughs> it's the only one who can stop this. <laughs> so I kid you not, this made me so angry when this line was spoken because I should know third girl's big thing is that she is in love with Reiji because um, – and so Reiji saves her at this point and she's looking up at him and she thinks to herself, I fucking shit you not. She thinks I would have been fine with him raping me. Yeah, not not 
I would have been fine with him having sex with me, which would have still been creepy. I would have been fine with him raping me. This is why I didn't want to fucking do this series. What does she a Kawaru? What does she a Kawaru? Ma'am, you can go to hell. All right? That is disgusting. Okay? And you need mental help. I am not shitting around with this. Like, if you think that that is okay to put in a fucking manga, fuck off. Because there's no point in any of this where it's like, hey, Mimi's kind of fucked in the head. And she needs therapy or anything like that. There's like, because like every character in the series has like mental health problems because of like parental abuse or abandonment or stuff like that. But there's never a point where her love for Reiji is portrayed as unhealthy. So, yeah. So that happens. Um, Then there's the whole principal thing that happens after that. Then the girls graduate. Uh, and there's been some stuff leading up to this moment where, like, the characters are going their separate ways. Uh, and, of course, there's the issue of what's going to happen between Aoki and Rin because of that. Uh, and Rin's upset with him because, like, oh, you're leaving my life, blah, 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 blah. Um, what's going to happen between Glasses Girl and Reiji? What's going to happen with Kuroko because she's not very smart or not very good at, at schoolwork. So is she going to be able to go to the same school as her other friends? Uh, all this kind of stuff happens. Shirai's gotten into a relationship, a healthy relationship with a teacher, another teacher at the school. And they want to get married, but they're not sure what they're going to do because of that and their careers and all that. But anything, anyway, everything turns out happy and everyone graduates and yay. And, and Reiji shows up at the graduation ceremony and he's, and he's like, oh, yay. And Rin's happy and I can let go of her now. And there is actually, I will say at this point, a moment that shows the potential for this series. Because you know what, Chris? Wouldn't be Sadistic September if not for the fact that the series that we cover in Sadistic September shows promise potentially being better than it than it is and that's the most frustrating part about it is that the person who created it is capable of making something much better than the shit pile that they crap out and here's a moment because at this point of course rin has had an experience where she was nearly fucking raped there's a weird moment where they medically examine her afterward and it's like oh no no, no. it's okay you didn't penetrate her so she's fine she was still groped and like I was gonna say assaulted fine seems which like maybe terminology to use right right she's like i'm fine he didn't you know, do like you know alki came in before he could do that and it's like okay i understand physically you're better off than you would have been if he had done that but it carries the very it carries the implication that as long as her maidenhood is intact then there was never a problem like and it's like that's sexist all right that's gross and anyway rin goes home after that uh and there's like a little bit of a time skip that kind of gets to the point where they're like almost at graduation and rin is given this uh like survey thing to fill out basically like to test her mental state uh, after having a traumatic experience. And what we're basically told is like, yeah, she's fine. But Reiji 
and she basically, you know, just goes out with some friends to hang out. And she's like, yeah, I'm supposed to bring that to school. Ragey, you fill it out for me. You know, she doesn't care. And so Ragey starts filling it out. And he's he's, you know, he's like going over the symptoms. And yeah, she hasn't been having that. She has been having that. And then he's like getting over the stuff like, you know, has recurring nightmares, is, you know, not able, is, you know, uncomfortable being around people and stuff. And he's like, and he starts thinking about himself. And he's like, I'm, I'm filling this out for Rin. I'm not filling it out for me. But he keeps, but, you know, he ends up filling it out for himself. And he's like, got like every symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder. And he has this huge revelation of like, oh my God, I am actually seriously fucked up. Which is actually a moment that I like because it's like, you know, sometimes people do just have those, you know, revelations of like, oh, this is, you know, what's going on with me. And because of that, he is able to, you know, start to take steps towards recovery. Yeah. It's like, hey, that's actually cool. You know, he was able to, you know, not kill himself because he realized that the way that he got fucked up wasn't his fault. The stuff that he did to Rin is his fault. But anyway, so, hey, there you go. I said something nice about this stupid series. Girls graduate. We cut to three years later. Um, like Shirai and her husband, have they, they've had a baby. Kuroko is now close with them. There's actually a sweet moment because there's never a point in the series where Kuroko starts to like lust after Shirai, despite the fact that she's the token lesbian and she's, you know, really close to her. Um, instead, like Shirai has become this kind of like motherly figure for her. And so she actually like, you know, goes to hang out with her and then their new kid, she like calls her mom and it's like, oh, it's sweet. And hey, something nice happened because there's nothing that has to do with pedophilia for this part of the story. Cool. Then, like, it turns out Reiji and Glasses Girl have gotten close and they keep going to see each other. And there are uh, rumors going around that she is, you know, um, a prostitute with an older man. And it's like, hey, so... Um, this is getting weird. And, uh, she's <laughs> cause he's, you know, oh, Reggie's better now and stuff. And he's more mature and everything because he's actually recovered from all of his tra trauma and stuff by this point, uh, at least a little bit. And so she thinks to herself, like, I'll heal him. I will bear your child, Reggie. And I'm like, God. And then Rin and Aoki reunite after three years and now Rin is 16, Chris. And oh, that, had... That's the age that Reiji said he was going to wait for her before mm -hmm. he'd marry her and start fucking her. Uh-huh. So Aoki had promised her when they parted ways, because, hey, because, you know, Rin, at, yeah. by this point. Please tell me it doesn't end this way. So Rin has, by this point, because um, it's a constant thing of her not just teasing Aoki, but like, you know, physically getting up on him, you know, grabbing him by the dick. Uh, trying to pull his pants down, pulling her own panties down. And a lot of the times she'll give him a kiss. And it's like way too frequent a thing that he like never rebukes her for. And she'll also throughout the series keep on trying to get stuff out of him. She'll be like, I'll do you this favor if you, you know, go out with me. I'll do you this favor if you say you love me. I'll do this favor for you if you fuck me. That kind of thing. And she says hey, this time when I see you again, then I want you to be the one to kiss me. And Alki's like, only if you're a good girl. It's like, ugh. So they reunite. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it, Chris? Rin is 16 now. And 
Glasses girl, she's physically matured more than ever. Kuroko even has physically matured. She actually looks like, you know, a proper, like, teenager now. But Rin, she looks the exact same as when she was 12 years old. Barely there breasts, really small body. She still looks like she did when she was in grade school. And so they meet up. And they, you know, go to like a cafe or something to eat. They talk and they catch up a bit. And Rin says, you promised you would kiss me. And Aoki says, well, I said that I'll kiss you if you're a good girl. And, you know, if you're if you're asking for a kiss, then clearly you haven't been a good girl. And she's like, oh, I waited this whole time. You're mean. And Aoki's like, "Uh." and then he says, well, if anything, I'm actually ashamed of myself because I see how much you actually have changed, even if you haven't changed physically. But I haven't changed at all. I'm still the same person back then. I'm still silly and and shy and and my feelings haven't changed. And he takes her hand and they kiss. And it's really weird because immediately after there's a shot of them running away from a police officer to make sure he doesn't spot them. And it's like, why are you so close to getting this? It's like. It's <laughs> you recognize like the the like I don't know if it'd be the worst ending or if that would be where it is if like the entire like like he kisses oh. her and like the crowds at the the coffee stop stops standing up and applauding like they all recognize they're like we've been wrong about this whole pedophilia thing you've shown us what true love is it's the thing it's the difference between understanding when something is legally wrong and understanding when something is morally wrong like look. I don't really have a problem with someone smoking pot um, if they're around me, you know, whatever. Uh, I have a problem with, you know, like a dealer forcing drugs onto a kid or something like that, though. That to me is like morally wrong. And that's and so they're both crimes. But one, I think, is worse than the other. That kind of thing. So if I see a dude who's got who's got, you know, pot, as long as they're not bothering me in some way with this, like, oh, whatever, whatever. You know, who cares if I see someone, you know, forcing pot on someone, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be like, yeah, but I mean, legally, it's wrong, but it should be OK. You know, like it's not a cool thing to put in your story and be like, oh, look at this silly thing with the with the drug dealer and the kid run away from the cops. It's not cool, you know, and so that's not the equivalent thing. But anyway. I should also note by this point that this isn't the first time that they've had a wacky run in with the police because there's a moment where they like take shelter from the rain in a love hotel. And the cops randomly go in and they see a 20 something year old teacher with his elementary school student in a love hotel. And they let him go. Okay. <sighs> like there's a whole thing that's like, oh, he's gonna get arrested, but then they convince him to let go, like which would never happen. Anyway. So So they go to a bedroom. And they do it. Yep. And you see the moment it happens. Like it's the bottom parts like censored out. But yeah, they do it. And they make a joke about how small she is because his dick hurts her. And they have a owie that hurt kind of moment. 
and then they cuddle and kiss. Flowers, happy ending. Thank God. The series ended with true love prevailing. And that teacher getting to sleep with that girl that he knew from the ages of 8 to 11. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) So I've heard people say that... The ending of this series like ruins it. And it's like, no, because that's what the series was building up to the entire time, guys. Like there were people who were like, oh, people who hate Godoma no Jikan just haven't actually read it and they don't understand the value of it. And like, look, I have said in the series of points that I think like, hey, there are qualities to this that are good. But when the prevailing message throughout it. And the thing that it is entirely built upon is something that is so repugnant to me. And I know that the author, you know, is not going to compromise their positions on. They just have a really shitty excuse for it, which is like, oh, it's okay if the girl ends up being of consenting age before they sleep. No, it's not cool. Uh, So this is bad. I feel bad for having read it. And I am going to do my best to forget about it after we put this behind us. Guys, I hope you enjoyed the review. I want to reiterate. We started Sadistic September so we could be like, hey guys, look at that wacky roller skating manga. Look at his tennis series. He hits the tennis ball so hard he kills the dinosaurs. Isn't this silly, guys? Look at this flame of wreck. Oh, it's so stupid and silly all over the place. And then we moved into this. And I have physically left a piece of my soul with this series. <laughs> like the Necronomicon that reading it, like opening it once has taken a part of me that will truly never return. And I'm just establishing now, next year we're doing Codebreaker. It's a stupid, shitty fucking Shonen series. A year from now, I'm guaranteeing that we're not doing this sort of crazy bullshit again. I will say that this was actually completely 100% entirely my fault. There were multiple people who suggested the series. But like I said, when I announced it, it was not suggested for Sadistic September. So it is my fault for ruining the good name of Sadistic September with this shit. Should have just taken a dumb series. My bad. Uh, So, yeah, we're never going to do a series like this for for, uh, Sadistic September again. I'm sure that inevitably as as this podcast goes on and on, Eventually, we'll just kind of stumble across a series that is bad for similar reasons or it turns out to be different from what we, we were expecting, you know, like how Usagi drop ended, that kind of thing. Um, but we're not going to deliberately put ourselves through a series like this for this event month. Yeah. By the way, event month for October, Halloween. <laughs> Halloween, guys. Do you have any pedophile series? <laughs> any pedophile horror series? <laughs> <laughs> do you have any any series about like running children over in cars that you could maybe show us about or something like that that kind of fits into the horror theme uh ninja ninja x3i who knows better than anyone uh says that they actually mislabeled it and it was supposed to be for sadistic center well shit okay fine that that's a little bit of that's a little bit off my back as the person who said that we were going to do this series over and i had final word um i felt it necessary for me to read this entire thing, and I have. I have borne this cross 
And uh, we're done now. Yes. All right, let's move on to, to manga. It's going to be you starting this off because we don't have My Hero Academia this week, but that's okay, guys. We it's have okay. 10 different... We've got... There's no My Hero Academia. Huh. All right. I guess that explains why it was so low on the list. All right. Yeah, we got two chapters of Eden Zero. I'm pretty sure there isn't. Let me double check before we, you do that real quick. No, you're you're right. Because I, I clicked I the page and I saw like, all right, well, yes. <laughs> I mean, obviously you're right. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll start with Eden Zero. Yeah. Chapter 61, Enter Arsenal. So uh, These two chapters go well together. Actually, both of the double chapters that we get this uh, week go pretty well together. So Sure. Uh, so last chapter, Drac and Joe took over the the satellite, the Oculus Curanai or whatever it was called. Now he calls it like Satellite Blaze. He took it over, and in response, uh, Curanai activated some big robot. Uh, we start with Drac and Joe talking about how this is a really good weapon and it's too good for that hag and basically him and his goons talk about like what they're going to do and i can't remember her name but the elastic girl is like mm-hmm. hey uh won't we like don't lucina we to- basically <laughs> yeah she's like hey won't we need it to find eaton zero jack just like we don't need to find it anymore it's right there and i'm like i guess that's convenient like they just look out the window and they're like see it's right there <laughs> <laughs> has its name printed on the imagine side. Imagine how, imagine how fucking big, not even spaces, but like the area surrounding a planet is, and they're just like, hey, let's look right over there. <laughs> they need to find it. They're right there, the big idiots. <laughs> Especially when they have like six characters who like on that ship who are like master like electricians and tech ta- like tacticians with this sort of stuff. You think they hide behind the moon or something? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so they're like, well, what are we going to do? How do we get in zero? And Drake just like, hand-to-hand combat. We're going in. So then we cut back to the planet. And uh, honestly, I didn't realize there were two chapters. I first started reading the second one. And from this point on, you wouldn't actually you like, realize you missed anything. You're like, oh, this like nothing, nothing actually happens in this chapter. Uh, the robot's just destroying shit. Um, it's a really big robot that Coronai herself is piloting because I guess that's her way of having a physical fight without getting involved. Which, to be even fair, though she was doing hand to hand combat with Shiki, no problem for. But anyway, yeah, I was just say I wasn't this also what the first big bad guy did as well, the one with Pino. Didn't he also fly like a big giant robot or something similar to that? Yeah, and and Shiki wrecked it in like one punch. Yeah. yeah, well, which is what I'm sure he's going to do here. Anyway, I guess not one punch. He tries one punch, it doesn't work. Uh, But we cut over to the labor district, and a bunch of guards are attacking it. Uh, And Rebecca, is that her name? Is that Lucy? I can't can't remember. I always forget which one's which because they're not. Lucy is fairy tale. Rebecca is is Eden Zero. So Rebecca is fighting some of them off, but then who should show up but Baku of the. the Zaitan Three, because uh, Hero can't create a villain group without giving them a name, and then very quickly realizing that they're not actually intimidating. So the big lion guy, uh, Baku, has shown up. He's the Axe of Heaven, the high speed axeman. Nick, his his <clears throat> power is his speed. You won't be able to stop him, uh, which does make sense. They established earlier is very fast, and mm-hmm. uh, he's gonna fight Rebecca. Rebecca's gonna get a big fight. No. Nope. <laughs> Wait, no. Who should show up? And I'm confused because a figure shows up 
and says, I thought we were here to find somebody. How did it turn into this? And the characters all react because they know who this is. So this firmly establishes Weiss has a very pronounced accent. So he must be like, oh, I thought we were here to find somebody. And it's turning to this now. Because everyone's like, that's Weiss. And he's like, oh, roll on his awesome is what because I'm going to lose my arm and get a drug addiction, I am. <laughs> I am, I am. Uh, so, yeah, they're like, yep, that's Wise, who has showed up in uh, his Iron he's Man Iron armor. Man. He's he's Nanite Iron Man. Yep. That's that's what he is, okay? So that's the end of that chapter. Leading us into chapter 62, The Legend of Me. And this chapter is the big fight between Baku and Arsenal. Nick... I know when this arc has really like kind of gotten into the nitty gritty, you were like, man, I can't wait for Baku and Arsenal. Can't (laughs) wait for this character who stayed behind on the ship and we were told wasn't going to be on the planet for the series to come down and have a fight. (laughs) (laughs) With a guy who has no thematic qualities that match him up well with Weiss. (laughs) 100%. Like he just shows up and Wise just drops straight down and he's like, I'll fight you and everyone's like, Yeah <laughs> You're like, What the fuck? This dude just showed up. I don't even know shit was getting real. Imagine if you have <laughs> Oh man. Imagine for a moment if you had like okay, what's what's like a wrestler in WWE who's got like, you know, they're like a heroic character who's got a really strong like theme to them. You know, they're like, okay, this is what this character is like about. You know, Mustafa like, Ali's like, got like a good story to him. Ali, okay, Ali, former cop. So there's like a character who's like a criminal, and they have a corrupting influence on people. Ali wants to be a symbol of hope and peace to people, uh, and show that they can actually make a difference to their community, to their world, and they can stand up for what's right. And this person comes in, and they are going to show that, you know, they stand for what's wrong, and they have, you know, a similar move set to Ali. They do, you know, flips and stuff, but they are evil flips. But then... It's like it looks like they're it looks like this character is being built up to take on Ali for, I don't know, the double cruiserweight title or whatever the <laughs> fuck it is. And then Roman Reigns comes in and spears him and kills him and he's gone forever. <laughs> it's it's very odd because they established Which sounds like something that might happen. Now that I think about it. <laughs> uh, it was like, OK, so we knew that there were three members of this group. We know that there's the guy with like the the fucking the mankind mask we know there's yeah. nino and then we know there's this guy that's the three member group and then car and i herself and there are only like three significant characters of the heroes team on here because everyone else stayed on the ship we already know nino isn't a bad guy per se we already know right. that he kind of like he he's very sympathetic to rebecca probably easy to switch so there's an idea that maybe we don't have to do that but that this big fight happens, Baku shows up, he's wrecking shit. And then, yeah. like, the big hero moment where it's like, boom, ching, clonk, 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 boom, Arsenal's here. And it's like, none of this was foreshadowed. None of this was suggested. <laughs> there was no point where we cut up onto the ship and was like, oi, Austria, we saw an man costume to wear. Like, no one addresses no one suggests he's like oi i'll be there once i finish me suit i'm working on i will anything like that no foreshadowing you could have just i mean like look 
They said he was working on stuff on the ship. I thought he was working on stuff for other people. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I wish it would have been, like, it could just as easily have been, uh, who else on the ship? Uh, witch. Or no, is that her name? Yes, yeah. one of them is named so, Witch. So, Witch lands. She's the one who sent him, in fact. Yeah, like, Witch lands on the planet, and, like, her body erupts into fire, and she's like, I am Fire Queen now, and starts burning people. And you're like, I don't understand what was, no one suggested, there was no, there was no thematic tie into any of this. You just showed up. So, yeah, that all happens. So, that's basically where we're at right now. Uh, Weiss has shown up as Arsenal. He gets very upset that no one will call him Arsenal because he just keeps referring to that over and over again. I'm Arsenal. And they're like, hey, Weiss, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm Arsenal. I am. Uh, and eventually he decides he's going to fight Baku. So Baku, though, I mean, he's he's too fast. You can't really, you can't really combat him. Uh, and we get a little bit of like a clip showing that sister and Hermit kind of mm-hmm. helped to make this device. It's sort of like a watch. And as you said, it's it's the, what, the Bleeding Heart or whatever the Iron Man armor is called that he just kind of yeah, storms yeah, yeah. around him. They're like, you just put this on and off, and that'll control the suit. So he puts it also, on. Also, th- was there a point before where Sister established that she was, like, she had it for Rebecca? Because yeah. they... They really like, yeah, I've made her, look at, she's so cute. I made her my lock screen. He's like, was that a thing for you? Was it? I don't remember that. <laughs> it's a lot of weird stuff that I'm like, I don't know if, like, was this all meant to be, like, is this meant to be the thing that, like, Rebecca was in danger? And that's why Y shows up to get Because she sent him down really fast then. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, Wise is like a horn dog, so he wants to protect the ladies. I don't know. None of this is really built up particularly well. Uh. The cool thing, though, is that Wise's power works with the suit of armor. So he's able to, you know, reconfigure mm-hmm. uh, machinery to have he needs. So he can, you know, he creates a laser cannon immediately and he can give himself jet boosters immediately. Like, it's a very cool thematic way to create a power suit. Uh, it, it would be nice if we had, like, had, like, a buildup to this or something or some kind of thematic thing. But This is the buildup, Chris. Yeah, they're like, Baku is like, my speed is the greatest weapon. I am crazy fast. And he's like, oh, I'm fasting now. And that's basically what happens. <laughs> and then he wins. Uh, there's, like, sort of this thing where he's like, oh, you only got 10, you only got 30 seconds left uh, because his, his computer talks to him as well. And he's yeah. like, oh, <laughs> Gotta have Friday's voice, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so he's like, oh, well, I end this, I will. And he turns his hand into a, a giant hand and uses a big move called Metallica Explosion. Uh, and it blows up everything and everyone's super shocked. And then his armor powers down because it's out of power. So uh, that's, so he's naked. Yep. So he's naked. And that that is yeah, the chapter because he talks about this. He's like, this is going to be. The legend of Arsenal. This legend of me starts right now. It's not a bad line for, no, a, it's, for it's, a showdown hero. Yeah, It's not bad. I don't actually mind the Arsenal like power suit and the idea of kind of creating this thing that's like, oh, he barely won this fight because if he hadn't won off that blow, he would have lost all of his power and been kind of worthless. Like, I like thematically or flavor-wise everything about it. It's just like... It it came out of nowhere. There wasn't like a foreshadowing that Weiss was going to get involved in this arc or that they needed reinforcements 
or that he was building a suit or anything to suggest this was going to happen. It's just like, hey, Kerr and I built this big robot and it's going to attack. And the next chapter ends with like, oi, and now I'm in my robot suit to fight back. Like, all right, I guess. <sighs> all right, let's go on to Boruto. Chapter number 38, he's bad news. I hate Boruto. I forget to fucking read it every goddamn time. I'm not going to go deep into this because essentially the point of the chapter is Jigen beats Sasuke and Naruto. Naruto is now being held captive. Therefore, other characters are going to have to solve this problem. It's a good move because, hey, Naruto was established very clearly as being Way too strong for any of these characters to have to worry about the villains that they're going up against. Yeah, sure, Delta kind of pushed him, but like literally, he's Naruto. There's no, there's not a point to having Boruto be there if Naruto is there because Boruto is a weaker Naruto, basically. Um, and we do get some stuff of like Jigen did his little like big horn growing transformation thing. Sasuke and Naruto go like fucking all out on him. Naruto is like pulling out, you know, Kurama's full form. Sasuke is pulling out Susano and Jigen is just like punching them out of their like mechs. Basically, <laughs> he just goes up to them, punches them down, pins them to the ground with, with chakra rods. Like, Jesus Christ, do you have you guys been working out at all? This guy is killing you. <laughs> they do a cool thing where Naruto looks like he's going to use a Rasengan. So Jigen is going to use his absorption ability. And instead, Sasuke uses the Renegon to switch their places so he can slash with his sword. Uh, but Jigen grows more chakra rods from his neck to block the blade. Uh, and um, then Sasuke tries to use Amaterasu, a.k.a. the black fire thing summoned by Mangekyo Sharingan, which cannot be extinguished until the target is completely burned up. And then Jigen's like, not that that applies to me. And he just tricks <laughs> it. <laughs> You're like, well, I guess. <laughs> this guy is kind of bullshit. All right. <laughs> um, and so Naruto and Sasuke are, are really being pushed hard at this point. They're tired from using all this chakra, from using all their killer moves and them not really doing anything. Uh, and so they're like, Oh, I'm at my limit too. Jigen's body can't keep pace with the power. I do need Kawaki. This vessel's done for. So he says he's going to wrap things up. He just summons a bunch of chakra rods under them. I guess he like throws them out and then grows them. And they're both impaled on a bunch of spikes that way. And they're like, well, shit, this is bad. Uh, and then the lid of this apparent like pot thing that they're on starts to lower and he's like yeah i'm gonna kill sasuke and i'm going to uh keep you captured here naruto which doesn't make sense for what happens later but anyway uh he says like i've got to kill sasuke now because you could escape using time space ninjutsu so you must die uh i mean if you want to try and teleport away now and leave your friend behind then you can do that but yeah but Naruto tells him to get away. He summons some shadow clones to try and distract him. And he gets Sasuke to leave. And he escapes to safety before Jigen can stop him. He pops out right in front of Sakura. Uh, who's like, ah, oh, god damn it. I, I'm going I'm to be Hokage. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> um, 
Naruto try starts to, you know, like say some stuff to Jigen, like, hey, why are you bothering sealing me here? Why don't you just kill me? And Kurama's like, shut up, Naruto, or he'll kill you. He's just not doing it now because he doesn't want to waste chakra. It's like. I mean, sure. Okay. Like they try and justify by saying, like, if I do it, it'd be really troublesome because you've got all this power and it would force me to go through a lot of effort. So it's not one of those things that he's keeping Naruto alive for a reason. It's just easier to deal with him by trapping him away than by killing him. And Karama's like, no, don't make him change his mind. It's it's weird. So he leaves and this like giant lid closes on them. Uh, and then he shrinks it down uh, to a more manageable size. But then he looks down and sees that this like stone in his stomach is cracking and breaking apart. And then a tear starts coming down his cheek. And so he says, does your body hurt, Jigen? To shed tears is pathetic. You're not worthy of being Otsusuki Ishiki's vessel, you defective failure. Oh, Jigen's not actually a villain. He's just the host for the... Oh? I mean, I get it. And that's why he needs Kawaki, because Kawaki will be a better vessel for him. But it's like... like, I need someone edgier who (laughs) listens to more hardcore music. But, you know, like, remember back when it was like, oh, well, Obito is Toby. Well, no, not really. Uh, you know, he's actually, you know, it's actually Madara. It's like, well, yeah, but you, at that point, you knew who Obito and Madara separately were. So that reveal did at least mean something, even if we thoroughly mocked it at the time for the continuous. No, this guy is the villain. No, this guy is the villain. Actually, it's this woman who you've never met before. She's the final villain. Then it then it got it was yeah stupid, but when the twist was it's not actually Obito it's Madara using Obito it's like well you knew who they were, with this it's just like okay that's Jigen, but it's not really Jigen it's a who cares all right it's it's interesting enough that I I'm not annoyed I I feel as though Boruto sometimes suffers from the weight of the series it has to follow. Like, where we talk about how it's weird that it's like, uh, Sasuke hits him with the fire that will burn forever, and he's like, it doesn't work on me. It's like, yeah, he kind of has to do that, because Naruto kept introducing so many crazy abilities that it's like, why doesn't he just hit him with the fire that never burns? It's like, uh, uh, because it doesn't work on him, or something like that, you just ride it away. He shrinks it. Yeah. (laughs) You got, he used, uh, he hypnotized the fire, so it it thought it didn't burn, or whatever. (laughs) Like you, you Sasuke's have to like, oh damn! I should have <laughs> thought of that. <laughs> Hypnotizing fire is brilliant. These, these old model shurigans have gotten so out of date. I need to upgrade them. <laughs> uh, so I understand some of those levels. I kind of like it. I mean, it does feel very Naruto, I guess, in a way where you're like, yeah, of course, the big villain isn't the villain or whatever. Uh, and I do think that there's some level of understanding that there's some kind of corruption that's going on here. So some kind of, like, force. So I'm not, like, annoyed, per se, or anything like that. I'm I'm curious. That's kind of my level of this series. Like, I'm intrigued to see more. We do get a closing scene where uh, Kawaki is in the Uzumaki household. He's looking at a picture of Naruto that he's got in his hand. I guess he's just thinking, like, 
I'm worried about what's happening to him. But I can't remember what his face looks like. I'm not looking at it. <laughs> He's just like, it's weird he didn't put any background behind this. It's, it's also like, weird. It feels like he didn't even try to compose a good shot here. It's also weird because he's, you know, holding this framed glass cover picture of another guy. So it's kind of like got one of those like Wolverine kind of meme kind of things to it. <laughs> Serata comes in and she's like, hey, where, where's the Hokage? And Kawaki just like. Didn't say anything. Oh, but then his artificial hand pops off. And so the hand holding the picture falls to the ground and the frame shatters. They're like, oh, Lord Seventh. Oh, it's symbolic. See, because the picture shattered. And also, you know, in, you know, actual in universe terms, the chakra is not in his artificial hand now because Naruto has been cut off from it. So I, I wish that the sound because the sound effects like a zip. I really wish it was like plop. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just plopped straight off and fell to the ground. This makes the most inappropriate noise. Like, like, why why does your arm falling off sound like a loud cartoonish? Every time he puts it in at the morning, goes. (laughs) 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 All right, we've got more Nara. We've got more boxes. Now, Nick. As we're entering into the point where we start talking about jump starts, we'd be remiss mm-hmm. if we didn't mention that a manga recommendation that we took relatively recently, Spy Family, has been picked up by Viz completely. It's now available on the Shonen Jump website as usual, so you can read the entirety of the series if you have a Shonen Jump subscription, or you can always still read the most recent three chapters. So, it's currently running in Jump. Nick, I have a proposition for you. You made this proposition. Well, no, I have a different one. I have have a different one. You like Spy Family, correct? I do like Spy Family. Would you like like to talk about Spy Family as new chapters come out? Yes, I would. All right. I will agree to let Spy Family enter the recap, but I get a veto in the future. That if there's a series, a jumpstart or something like that, that I desperately want to keep in the recap, no matter how much you hate it, I get to use my veto power to keep it in the magazine. This seems like it's really one-sided against me here. It could be. Maybe I use it for something great. (laughs) Maybe you use it for an 18-chapter series. That's almost certainly what it's going to be, but I... And reserving the right to say, no, I don't care if you hate it. We're going to keep talking about it. I'm going to have to be very careful about what I express hatred towards. But I'll probably forget. I, for the sake of the spirit of Weekly Manga Recap and the sure why the fuck not sense. And also, it's apparently funny when I suffer. Sure. Hot dog. All right. I'm not prepared I'm not prepared to talk about Spy Family this week. So, <laughs> no, I, they are, I did read it. The only it was thing really sweet chapter. It's a very uh, sweet I, chapter. I read it, but I, I don't. I don't have anything prepared to talk about it yep. for. So, highly recommend it. And this way, also, if you haven't read the series, you can catch up before we discuss it week, not week to week, but it's, it comes out every two weeks. So. Let's talk a little bit about Mission Yozakura Family, Mission Five Hostage. Uh, so Tayo is tied up to a chair in a dark room at the very start of this chapter. He realizes he's been abducted and he's like, 
what the hell happened? And he tries to think back and retrace his steps. He remembers being uh, in a mansion, studying back issues of Weekly Spy, the spy magazine. And uh, as he was doing so, all of a sudden, someone just snuck up on him and just chloroformed him, basically, or absinthed him, whatever actually knocks you out anyway. So he remembers that and he's like, all right, I don't feel anyone's presence here, so I've got to escape while I can. And he takes out this little needle, which is hidden under some fake skin in his thumb, and uses that to pick the handcuffs that he's, that he's got, uh, tying him to the chair, gets gets up, makes his way to the doorway, and uh, comes out. Immediately a guy holds a gun to his head, so he uses, he remembers uh, you know, the principles of dealing with a guy who's got a gun to your back Uh to force the gun against him so that he can't fire and then hits him in the jaw and just knocks the guy out and takes his gun. And he's like, all right, I've got to deal with this. Um, since there's more people coming, it's like, I can't fight all these guys dislocates his shoulder so he can fit into the air vent above. Basically Tayo's a freaking badass. Now Mm -hmm. that's established, but this chapter also establishes, ah, you may be badass, but there's some real fucking monsters out there. We see this kind of scruffy looking guy with glasses who is care- tending to some flowers in freaking like a greenhouse almost uh, outside the vent that he comes out of. And Taya recognizes him from the magazine as Hanawa the Courier, a top ranked professional spy uh, known for his transportation service flower delivery, which even delivers people. So Taya holds the gun to him and he's like, hey, what do you want with me? And the guy's just like you left the safety gun on in on the gun. I know you're not planning to actually kill anyone and that half half hardness will cost you the one you love. And so immediately I was like, have you done something with Mutsumi? And, and I was like, I'm like, I don't, I don't have no reason to actually answer you. So Tyler tries to attack him and just, you know, bash him with the back of the gun and he immediately gets taken down, uh, gun taken away from him and he's, wrenched his arm behind his back and he says you probably think you've grown a lot but a dandelion is just a dandelion you can't become as big as a sunflower nor as fragrant as a lily even if you were given the best soil and fertilizer there is nice metaphor i hope he doesn't have a planting gimmick in the future that like he's done all this stuff like we've seen him gardening and they showed him as like the gardening dude and his entire analogy is garden grenade and then when he shows up the next time he's like and I am the fishing spy master <laughs> <laughs> and I the literal chess master move a queen to e three of your soul and I king of the squirrels <laughs> <laughs> everyone's like huh I really thought I had you pegged out <laughs> fuck theming. <laughs> So Tayo is held pretty helpless in this guy's grip, but then, hey, Mutsumi comes in and there are a couple of uh, bodyguards who seem to be, I think, working for her for uh, Hanawa, uh, escorting her. And he's, she says, hey, I've come as promised, so release Tayo. And uh, so Tayo's like, what the hell's going on? And Mutsumi explains that, look, these guys are after me. But professional kidnappers even have would have a lot of difficulty getting past all the people protecting me. So instead, they went after you because you're outside of that a little bit outside of that circle. And they're going to use you as leverage to trade for me. Uh, And they've already gotten, you know, they have like our mansion security information from the ring. The reason they had Katai since they hired was to isolate the ring temporarily. So presumably 
what this, I mean, because she says, like, Katai Sensei wasn't involved, doesn't know anything, but it's like, ah, so this actually feeds in from the past chapter that seemed to just be a goofy thing that didn't really have much of a point. No, there was a purpose to the events of that. Uh, so they're like, look, if someone, you know, in the in- industry had actually done that, our guard would have been up. So it was a clever thing, and it's a clever plan, too. Just like, hey, we'll just get this guy who's not as heavily guarded and, you know, force a trade that way. Cool. And Musumi's reasoning for doing this is they're willing to kill you. They're not willing to kill me because I'm because of the value I have as a hostage, basically. So Tayo is knocked out after a bag is put on his head and he's tied up again. When he comes to, uh, he is in front of the big brother whose name currently escapes me. Uh, and he's talking to him like, he says something pretty pretty shitty, which is, I just got back from my business trip this morning to find some trash by the front door, and when I took a closer look, yeah, I was right. There was trash. You. Boom, his, wife just got, his wife just got kidnapped. But he says, hey, 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 look, you know, Hanawa's a top-ranked pro, We don't da- he, and he won't damage the goods. There was a possibility that you as the replacement bait would have been hurt. That's why she offered herself up. He explains all that. And uh, so... Tayo starts to be hard on himself and he, sa- and he says, look, repentance is better shown through actions, not words. We figured out that she'll be handed over to the client in three days time and we need to be prepared for that handoff. The whole family is going to go. And until then, you need to become a man more worthy of Mutsumi. So special on, on one-on-one training uh, for this. Um, and so Tayo is determined to prove to Ranawa that, you know, he's actually capable of protecting Mutsumi. He says to himself, I never want to feel that helpless again really like this chapter glad to see that it's into like okay yeah stuff is moving forward there are stakes going on and uh this is what we're doing cool i th- i like this chapter a lot to the point where i was like man i kind of just wish there wasn't even a previous chapter because the whole thing with last chapter is like oh it was a chance for tayo to show off his his spy skills i'm like i feel like he showed them off a lot better in this chapter mm. when even though not... it's the one where he gets his ass kicked yeah, yeah but like at the start of it he shows them off a lot better when he's like actually doing spy stuff to be like i used my spy skills to break into a high school guidance counselor's <laughs> room like yeah i think i could have done that if i really needed to at the time so i, I thought this feel was... as though probably the point is going to be more that was actually the introduction of this character that's going to show up again but we'll see yeah, I'm sure there's still a point to it, but this was a much more satisfying way of actually showing the skills for me. And although this kind of comes out of left field, where there was no suggestion he was kidnapped at the end of the last chapter, it just starts here, and we're kind of in a pretty like intense plot where it's like, oh, she's been kidnapped and is going to be sold off to somebody or exchanged to somebody. We have to save her in three days. Like It's a very tense thing to have established in one chapter. I think it's good. Because, one, it should hopefully make the manga more exciting, so that'll get people more interested into it. Uh, but, two, I think it's just a good pace to kind of set for this series. Mm-hmm. Early on. Like, let's not waste time digging around. Let's kind of move into things pretty quickly. Yeah, there was no messing around in this. It's like, oh, shit, he's been kidnapped. What's going on? Hey, cool stuff, cool stuff, cool stuff. Right. Tense confrontation. New villain has shown up. Stakes are established. Mutsumi's in danger. All right, here we go. So, yeah, really excited by this chapter. Good stuff. Super dig it. Then we've got Samurai 8. Hey, this is also a training chapter. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, 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 I want to make a note of, like, it's not as good. But honestly, 
had one of the most surprising endings of uh, any chapter this week. Chapter 19, whatever it takes. Uh, it's established that, hey, uh, Hachimaru and Dharma and uh, Anne are going to go to the planet Kenka so that uh, they can win this prize in this tournament that these guys know about uh, as they're still being cuffed and taken. So Dharma tries to figure out who the serious fighter with the double blades is, uh, and he doesn't find any data on him after he accesses the internet or whatever with his mental link-up, whatever. Samurai or Wi-Fi hubs, basically. Um, thief guy, Han Solo, to this guy's Chewbacca, mocks Hachimaru, and he's like, hey, I'll show you Wait until I pull out my gun. And it's like, hey, sh sh shut up, you. Hachimaru's great, basically. Uh, they uncuff them so that Hachimaru can actually have a training session against the guy that Dharma fought in the last chapter. And he's like, all right, I've got to get stronger. And essentially what they're doing is fencing uh, in terms of the way that it's, you know, scored. They are trying to score points on each other by scoring hits on each other. They're not doing anything to, like, prevent themselves from getting hurt. But that's because samurai are basically immortal. So... No real consequences to Hachimaru getting stabbed repeatedly, which happens. The guy is really good and really fast. Ryu is his name. I finally found it. And so, you know, keeps on th happening where, like, Hachimaru gets, like, a hand chopped off, uh, has to reattach and stuff like that. I mean, we just get a montage of him getting his ass kicked, essentially. But Ryu realizes, you know, the guy is, you know, getting a feel for what I do. Uh, and there's no hesitation to him. So I've got to keep on changing up my strategy. I, I can't just do the same thing over and over again. Uh, but Hachimaru basically thinks of the situation as a video game. Uh, he's like, hey, you know, it's, it reminds me of like playing fighting games with, with Nanashi. Hey, shout out for Nanashi. Hooray. I wish they were here anyway. Uh, so he's like, OK, given the rules of this matchup, what he'll probably do is extend his play for ow. Loses another match, but he's like, okay, so what should I do here? Uh, I've got to be the first one to score a point. Maybe I should throw my katana at him. But if I do that, I mean, his blade might stretch out faster than I can throw it. So I'll do this. And he throws, he starts to make a throwing motion with his sword. Uh, and then he takes out his wakizashi basically and chops his arm off so that it goes flying forward like a fucking spear. And so they're like, oh, he caught his sword for better reach, and yeah, he took damage, but it doesn't matter because samurai are basically immortal, and the guy's blade hasn't touched him. So it looks like it's going to be a double knockout uh, because the guy's blade is Ryu's blade is still extending forward really fast. So Hachimaru's just like, all I need to do is avoid the blade. So I'll cut myself and dodge. And he just chops his own head off. So the blade goes underneath and misses him. And he scored a scratch on Ryu. So that counts as a point. So I actually really like this conclusion because, hey, if you're going to have this whole concept of samurai, it doesn't matter how hurt they get because they can't die unless they give up. Sure. Why not have them basically be zombies who can take their own heads off with no consequences? And that just becomes part of his strategy. Sure. Uh, I enjoyed this chapter because uh, apparently like Kishimoto, I also enjoy World Trigger. 
uh, because this is the exact <laughs> same fighting style as World Trigger, uh, just done less effectively. Because at least their World Trigger, when they do something like I cut off my leg, it was usually to score like a decisive blow. Whereas right. here it's like I cut off my arm, then I cut off my head to scratch you across the cheek. It feels like, like I guess technically you earn a point. I feel like you sh- really shouldn't be proud of it though. Uh, but I, I, I do like that was also like one of the big like turning points of world trigger where you're like holy shit like this is exciting and different and kind of cool so maybe this is where samurai a could turn a corner where it's like hey maybe find this series will really be different and kind of crazy and everything like that i feel like the only way that uh, samurai 8 can like you know come out of the hole it's in right now is if it just goes balls to the wall with whatever it does the last two chapters seem to be kind of like it might be heading in that direction uh, so if Kishimoto is just like, fuck, no, I'm not getting canceled. I'm fucking Kishimoto. So here, throw out all of this weird out there shit and just go for it. And hey, it'll be more interesting for us to talk about and, and ultimately more entertaining if he does that, even if some of the stuff is just really stupid. So sure, do it. Yeah. Okay. We never right, learn. Let's talk about we never learn. Question 120. More than ever, what supports a pizza bet is... So last time, uh, it looked like Uega might even just die. Who knows? He had fallen. <laughs> uh, he was abandoned in the snow. Uh, he might just outright die. No one really knows. Uh, so everyone's like, huh, I wonder what's happening. They're like, uh, Ru- uh, Ruka calls and is like, hey, uh, his phone says it's out of service. Like, this is really weird. His family says he already left. Uh, you think something happened? And uh, immediately Ruka's like, all right, well fuck it i'll go and they're like what are you doing she's like well i don't actually have to take a test because i just have to learn a language to get over there like you guys this is your big thing so you take your test don't worry about it i'll find uega so she runs off and she's like i don't actually know how to find him and oh god the test is gonna start in a half an hour i need to find him and the dog from earlier starts like biting at her boot. And I love it because the first thing she does, she's like, what a cute dog. She's like, wait, no, I have to find my missing friend. <laughs> like she stops. Like what a good doggy. Uh, and she's like, wait a minute. And she sees that there's something with the dog, a note attached to it. So we cut over to Uega who, uh, had, I guess the safest fall from that distance. You can, because he, he kind of, like, pops up and starts walking, and he's like, I guess I'm okay. Oh, never mind. Hold on. It's all hitting oh, me Oh, my knee. Ow, ow, ow. And his... I don't think my leg's broken. Ow. <laughs> ow, ow, ow. Uh, and his phone Brief is aside, very Brief broken. aside, my mom, uh, a couple years ago, um, there are these steps in, inside of her home uh, that you know, go down from, like, the kind of atrium area into a living room area, and it's very easy if you're not paying attention to miss a step on them and she fell down them and broke her leg. Uh, but she didn't realize it was broken. She thought she had merely sprained it. So she hurt herself sometime around Thanksgiving and did not go in for a medical exam to get it checked out until like January. So, bone had started to heal wrong and they had to re-break it and put it back in and so for like 
two plus months she was walking around on a broken leg and just be like yeah this sprained leg is not he's <laughs> like ow this hurts a lot for a sprain <laughs> it was a really br- bad break too anyway yeah. so <laughs> so Uega's trying to climb up there he's like uh oh I think it's broken uh, he's like ah I'm so sorry I but he's actually thinking I'm I hope the rest of you made it to the exam I hope everything you've worked for is worth it I can't give up, but I'm, I'm happy for all you. And he starts to slip again. Again, He's just going to go back down. <laughs> it's like, oh, not again. It's like a wacky. It's like a wake up, wake up five minutes later. I've got to get back. <laughs> it's like, it's like, uh, did you watch a uh, Russian doll at all? No. Uh, well, there's a whole bit about how she keeps dying. It's like a Groundhog's Day thing. And she keeps dying, going down this one thing of stairs over. That's how it keeps happening for her. Like he gets a little bit further on. He's like, wait a minute. Who placed that banana peel there? And he keeps, he falls like so five minutes later. He's like, almost made it. And like a band comes marching down the stairs and tramples him. And he falls down the stairs. And he's like, ah. Someone turns into a water slide one time. He's like, come on. Uh, but no, who should save him? But Aruka, who's there and grabs him. And she's like, thanks, you, the doggy saved me. So she shows that there was uh, a little handkerchief that had been tucked in, that the dog had in its mouth that had all of the wishes from uh, all of everybody on it for Uega. And she used that to find him. The little doggy uh-huh. just saved his life. See, Nick? Yeah. Dogs are great. I mean, if they're good, yes. All but, right. you know. That's all we needed. Uh, so she's like, all right. Well, she starts kind of carrying Uega back. You know, puts all of her, you know, lets him put all the weight on her. But she's like, you know, she gets the call like, hey, did you find your wig? And she's like, yeah, I did. Uh, But her battery dies. So they don't actually get the full story. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, shit. The test starts at 15 minutes. Even at a normal pace, it would take like 30 minutes to get to the school from here. Yeah. We're not going to ru- They've got a rush. And he's got a broken leg. Yeah. Basically. So. And Uwega starts feeling bad about himself. He's like, this is pathetic. You know, how do I get into these situations? I'm causing everyone stress and worry. Because, again, he's thinking about everyone else. He's like, I'm going to, I'm distracting everybody from the tests that they're about to do. All of our efforts are going to go to waste. And Aruka's like, we're going to run. I've got you. Just put all of your support on me. And she starts running. But, you know, five minutes later, they're like, they're still not that much closer. And she's like, I don't think we're going to make it. And... Even then, if someone's there giving me support, I'm going to do it until the very end. So even if I don't make the test, somehow every step we take now has got to matter. And Uega starts thanking her. And then who should show up but Kirisu in her car. And she's like, get the fuck in quickly. And uh, we cut over to the fact that the uh, Ogata and Fabito tried to leave to go find Uega. And... Uh, uh, Are you... Oh, Kominami. Kominami, uh, yeah. I would keep or Asumi. Assumi, yeah. yeah. I always forget her first name. Uh, Assumi's like, stops him and is like, no, like, what Uega needs right now is for you guys to just take this exam because you know how fucking infuriated he'd be. But she also notes, like, yeah, I also want to go out and find him, but I just know that he would be more upset if we missed this exam because we were worried about him or anything else like that. Uh, Karasu over here is just like, don't worry, I'll go find them, you know, as your teacher. Let me handle this and you guys focus on the test. So she shows up, grabs Uwega in her car, uh, drives all the way over there, and even notes like, hey, I was able to find you because you told Fumino where you were when you were on the phone. So, you know, you guys actually really helped out. 
You said you got him onto a major street. It was super helpful. In fact, it's kind of everybody's efforts that this managed to happen. They get Uega there right in time to take the test. And that's where the chapter ends. Yeah. I love this chapter. It was so sweet. Oh, my God. Aruka, you're so wonderful. <laughs> if that man doesn't marry you, then what's wrong with him? <laughs> she literally went out to save him in his darkest hour and fucking carried him to safety. And it's really sweet, too. It's I mean, she's so concerned for him. And even when he's down on himself and is like, oh, God, I'm wasted. I wasted all this effort and I'm just being a burden to everyone. And Rook was like, no, we're going to do this. And uh, yeah. And of course, Kirisu shows up. And because she's, you know, from the Fast and the Furious fan franchise, she manages to get them there in time. Really nice pay, uh, payoff to the big cliffhanger that uh, we left off on last time. Very satisfied with this. Yep. So and then they all got F's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they all failed. Like, no. Good stuff. All right. Dr. Stone. It's time to get Z equals one R22. Brain battle puzzle pieces. Uh they revive Usuriha uh from petrification. And uh, there's a weird little moment where Taiju is so happy to see her, almost goes in and hugs her, and is like, a handshake is the polite way to greet a close friend. <laughs> Seku's like, it's, oh my god, it's, you're like a middle schooler pulling off her hands. You're like, oh, dude, like, you know she's got it in for you, like, into you, like. Yeah. And he's still like, she was going to hug her, actually, she was nice going to hug you, him. ma'am. Yeah, is because it, it's not like she was like, uh, no, she was gonna hug him t- too, yeah. and he's like, oh no, no, this is appropriate. It's like, come on, man, <laughs> this is why it took you years to to work up the courage to confess, and then you still didn't. <laughs> anyway, with uh, user here revived, they're able to put a bunch of pieces together, uh, and she actually works in conjunction with Soyuz because he completely immediately recognizes every little bit of every single person that they see as belonging to them. And she's able to assemble them together that way. So she's even able to put people's statues together more quickly than she would on her own. Um, They revive Chrome. They revive Ukyo after they make sure to give him a, his trademark hat by folding one out of paper. It's very important. Wouldn't be able to recognize him. if he didn't. I was like, if not that fucking hat, I don't know who he is. Um, then Ukyo, uh, after being revived, hears someone, and uh, it's Amaryllis coming back to report. She, we get a little visual montage of her telling the story of what happened and uh, how she was able to get away because everyone shut their eyes because the uh, petrification device was being used, and she t- so she tells them everything. Uh, Suika, of course, is really upset, uh, but Senku kind of has this weird expression on his face when he's first told all this. He's just kind of like really serious and staring anyway. Um, but of course this, they've also gotten the bombshell because, uh, they managed to pass on to Amaryllis that, uh, Soyuz is seemingly related to the ma- the petrified master, uh, that is in Ibarra's quarters. Um, but they do point out, it's like, well, we don't know that for sure, but no, we'll see. Uh, so Senka's like, all right, well, we're going to get all of these little fragmented pieces of info and wage a brain battle, reveal a path to victory. And there's a lot of 
metaphor with like puzzle pieces, you know, and they're trying to put them together the same way that, hey, you know, Usuriha is trying to assemble the puzzle pieces of everyone's statues. Okay. Uh, so they go over a whole bunch of stuff and they establish like, hey, like the five generals are all here together. All the smart people, you know, Chrome, Ukyo, Gen, Senku, and uh, fuck, his name suddenly escaped me. Ryuma. Damn it. Ryum. Yeah, yes, Ryu. So, and they're like, because uh, you know, Chrome is like, you know, kind of like confused by stuff. And they're like, no, 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 Chrome, you, you're actually really smart. It's just that, you know, you're smart in a different way. Your inspiration will probably be play an important role. My hand slowly raises. And I'm like, I thought Ukio was the one we'd all kind of question. <laughs> no, no, no. He's one of the generals and he's always, you know, whatever. You're like, he, he worked on a submarine, Chris. <laughs> I'm like, I mean. I mean, I'm not trying to shit on him. I just, I didn't think he was like that essential to the 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 goings on right here. I, this is like a moment where I'd be like, yes, the many weapons of the the Damon Devil Bats, our receiver Manta, our running back uh, Seta, and of course, who could forget our tight end Taki? And you're like, I mean, I guess. Taki's essential to the team because everyone's essential to it. <laughs> like, but you need him. Not, 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 not in the top three that I'd name. <laughs> I'd, I'd, na- I'd name like two of the Ha Ha brothers ahead of him. <laughs> Jumanji with all of his hand techniques. And the other, the, the, the manga loving yeah, one. Cross <laughs> What about the guy who loves video games? <laughs> Get him. Uh, the one with the big lips now. No one cares. He sucks. <laughs> and of course, you know, you got to put like Ich Ichimori ahead of one of them. I, mean, <laughs> I think that was his name. <laughs> Ichimori or something like that. A really plain running back yeah. who was on the back team. <laughs> so, like, Senna, he got more of a... He got more of a rub in that in that game with the Alexanders than fucking Jumanji did. <laughs> he had the kick return where he showed off the rodeo drive. <laughs> and the return was okay. They gave him the fucking rodeo drive, but we didn't see Jumanji use a single goddamn hand technique that whole fucking match. What's this bullshit in a gaki or a hack? People always, people, if you wonder why we keep on harping on that, why that match is stupid, there's a lot of reason for it. Shut up. <laughs> I, I was like, it's like our, our greatest offensive weapons, Santa, Mata, and one of the helpers from the basketball team. <laughs> the, well, there was Mitsu in the roster sometimes. <laughs> the three prongs of the devil bat. They're like, what are you talking about? What? Devil bats don't have prongs. <laughs> anyway, one of the important things that they conclude from their meeting of the minds here uh, is that because um, they're like, hey, so uh, this master guy doesn't actually have the weapon because he's a statue. So the real master, Ibarra, must be the one holding on to it. But then Gen brings up. Well, no, I don't think so. Ibarra is the type to keep plenty of insurance on him. So in a major crisis, he would presumably have a backup petrification weapon, a second petrification weapon. But if you were in a situation where they needed to petrify an invader immediately, 
wouldn't he prefer to have options? So, you know, either he could do it or he would have Kirisame do it. And they're like, oh, so in that case, the fact that he didn't just pull out a petrification weapon himself indicates that there's only one weapon and Kirisame is the only one who has it. So, and Taiju is like, I don't really get it, but yeah, I agree. <laughs> essentially. <laughs> um, then there's the whole thing of like, also Kirisame tossed the weapon so that it activated above Kohaku and Ginro. So Kirisame purposely avoided catching the master in the weapons radius. The, the guy who was already petrified, which indicates that she doesn't know that the master is a statue. And then Mose shows up. Apparently he followed Amaryllis. Whoops. <laughs> uh, but this is actually a big deal because Mose is essentially like Sukasa alpha version uh, in terms of how much stronger he is in a lot of respects than everyone there. Mm-hmm. Ukyo didn't even hear him coming. Taiju tries to become a shield to get in people's way and Mose bats him aside really easily and Taiju's got to get back up. And he's like, hey, you know, you're pretty you've got some fortitude, but if you stall, that's not going to save you unless you've got some other plan in mind. Uh, and so Senku and all, all the generals basically are immediately thinking like, Oh, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to think of something that we can do because there's no way that we'll even be able to overpower this guy. Even with all of us here, we're just not strong enough. Um, Amaryllis apologizes and says like, I, I can't, I'm, I'm going to just let him here. And then Chrome thinks to himself, you know, like, Hey, I've always been exploring uh, since I was little, and I know how tough it is to go around searching for stuff at night. So why would he go to all of the trouble of tailing Amaryllis instead of just killing her? And he says, did he realize that she and our and our friends were spies then? And that's why he actually followed her here. And Gen's like, oh, yeah, Captain Obvious, when Kahaka revealed herself naturally. Uh, oh, wait. So if Kahaku's cover is blown, and Ginro's cover is blown. And despite all of that, Mose didn't inform Ibarra what he knew, despite knowing apparently that Amaryllis was a spy. That means that he let Ibarra walk off with an invader alone, knowing how risky it was, and he kept the information to himself. And so all the pieces come together, and they conclude Mose doesn't actually care if Ibarra dies. He might have even been killing, planning to kill, kill him himself. So like, all right. So with this information... There might be a reason for for this, and there is something that we can use potentially to get Moe's to be on our side or at least get out of the way. And so I do like the little bit where Gen's like, ah, yes, this is our chance for someone to bring all of this, uh, to bring the petrification crumbling down. Uh, someone's just got to, you know, oh, right, that's me. Yeah. I, 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 I'm the one who does the talking and convinces people. <laughs> like, someone has to use suggestive reasoning to make this guy some lie sort, with us. Some sort of mentalist. With... <laughs> oh, he's, he's like, wait, I thought I was the dude who heard really well. I'm like, no. <laughs> so, we wait, get this. Wasn't I like the, the old news reporter, the hot news reporter girl? They're like, no. <laughs> Wasn't wasn't I the guy who really liked ramen? Who was fat? <laughs> that was my character trait. I thought I was the dog. So we get this 
iShield 21 style showdown graphic, Moe's versus Gen. It's Moe's brutal strength versus Gen's uh, silver tongue, essentially. I do love them. Um, yeah, I've, I've missed them. Um, I This is an all right chapter, honestly, but it feels as though it's not as big a moment as it is portrayed to be because learning that Moe's might, you know, not care about Ibarra is like, well, he's kind of said as such with all the times, like, all I care about is having hot women to fawn over me and, you know, getting to fight people. So, yeah, I, all right. I, I do really like it from, like, the terror of him showing up because you're like, oh, shit, we've established the only fighter we had who's no longer with us wasn't even strong enough to handle this guy. So it's a really scary moment where you're like, oh, if this guy wanted to, he could tear them all apart. Mm-hmm. But these characters come together to be like, wait a minute. If he's here, then that means this, and then that means this, and then that means we could potentially use that to our advantage. Like, they make a big deal, like, the five generals are all here, and you're like, yeah, and two of them kind of figure out what's going on. <laughs> 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 like, like, I was like, I don't really know what Ukio added to this plan, but... Uh, he he heard very well. <laughs> he, did, he specifically didn't hear in this moment. <laughs> Just, you know, Uki is just like, oh, man, it's so nice to be out of the petrification. And oh, yeah. Oh, guy, get that stuff out of my ears. Uh, oh, no, someone stuck up on us. <laughs> He's like, don't don't you worry, guys. The ears of this crew are back together. Wait, when did that guy show up? <laughs> it's like he's swimming. That had to make a lot of noise. <laughs> oh, man. You imagine if, like, when Ryusui first uh, was awakened and, and they're they like, all right, we've got to go and get people from under the currents. And Ryusui is like, yes, and I'll read the currents. When did that wave sneak up on us? <laughs> He's like, wait a minute. I've never seen the ocean before. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about yeah. Seven Deadly Sins, Chapter 326, The Seven Deadly Sins versus the Demon Lord. Uh, with the cover page of Diane in a very bloody uh, wedding dress. Uh, so, fucking a month le- ago, or whenever the last time we were able to talk about Seven Deadly Sins, uh, Diane activated some big power called Mother Creation, and we see what happens this time as the Earth itself starts to pull in towards them and starts to shatter apart and explodes, and Diane starts controlling these chunks of Earth. And, of course, the Demon Lord's like, whatever, you, an insignificant girl, are going to challenge me. It's like, yeah, I used to be a lonely giant girl who hated fighting. But now I've turned a new leaf, and I'm going to beat you. And he's like, oh, you're trying to pull me out of the lake. That's where all my power is. I don't think so. And Diane's like, no. Uh, Seven Deadly Sins, Elizabeth, Elaine, Hawk, and most of all, King. All of them have always been there for me. So I'm going to do this. And he's like, oh, well, I can't see any reason why you could ever defeat me. And Melia's like, then you must be blind, because Diane's the kind of girl who concerns about herself about what others matter, no matter what's happening to her. She concerns herself with others. And he's like, I would be very afraid to get on her bad side. She's like, yeah, I'm the queen of the giants, and I've been entrusted with my people's future, so I can't lose. And there's an even bigger reason why I can't lose, because my dream is king. She kind of like nervously trails off. Ella Bond, who's just like, Bon, are you gonna let her like or King, are you gonna let her do this entire fucking thing alone? And King's like, fine. Hey, Diane, let's get married as soon as we beat the demon lord. She's like, absolutely, and she like activates her ultimate attack. 
Um, okay, there are some crazy what um, what marriage proposals out there, but hey, you have never proposed to your girl while <laughs> facing down the literal devil. <laughs> Not since uh, what's his name and who's her face got married on the Davy Jones ship in the third Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh my god, <laughs> that was a. St- Hey, but Barbosa married them while being sassy the whole time. <laughs> that was the only redeeming part, feature of that scene. That's the only redeeming part of those goddamn movies is Barbosa being sassy. Just Jeffrey Rush just being, ah! <laughs> um, anyways, uh, the attack kind of finishes, launches into the air, and then when the Demon Lord lands, there's no lake anymore. They've now kind of, like, landed on a flat surface. Diane has completely kind of terraformed everything, so... The Demon Lord's been pulled away from his mana source, and uh, Melodius is like, yeah, now this is your final wrestling place, because the seven deadly sins are about to launch mission defeat the Demon Lord. We couldn't come up with anything catchier in the meantime, but it's still pretty cool. So, yeah, it's like a big platform has now been raised that they're on, and you can't get any more magic, so you're screwed. And then, uh, I guess it's Escador himself who says it, but it might be Melodious again. It's like, and there's one more piece of bad news for you that just came in. It's high noon. You see Escador just fire, fires radiating from his fist and everything. It's a really cool shot of him to end the chapter on because, yeah, there's the fire trailing off of him and he's just going, yeah. It is. <laughs> guess where this finger's going. <laughs> it is. Ex- <laughs> it's extremely awesome. Uh, then we get to chapter 327, A Man Called Escanor. A man, a plan, Escanor. It's a palindrome. Don't think on it. So, Escanor is activated the one. It's high, dude. He's as strong as he'll ever be. And, uh, you know, Demon Lord's like, that's cool. I recall seeing this power while in purgatory. It only lasts for a minute, so, you know. The one. Boom, <laughs> boom, Go ahead. See, I'm thinking the one Billy got. Barrel, barrel, barrel. Significantly barrel. less intimidating. <laughs> I've got it all. I look at the. Oh, look out, Demon King! He's gonna hit you with his new finisher, the one and only. <laughs> like, what is it? It's a famous, I think, still. <laughs> no, it's it's actually a really cool move, honestly. Uh, but I don't anyway. remember it. I, I, he was the one billy gun for i think like four months i don't i really think it was a short turnaround then he teamed with big show and they were the shoguns and i think they had two matches together (laughs) then eventually he moved over to smackdown and he ended up having an orgy with jamie noble and nydia and uh, tori wilson let's not forget Uh, his uh, excessively long stunt as a surprisingly great tag team with chuck and palumbo uh that has very unfortunate implications (laughs) Yeah. But ends with the great twist of uh, Eric Bischoff faking being a priest in <laughs> what should have been a very obvious setup the whole time, but uh, he delivers it with such panache that it's great. Anyway, uh, the Demon Lord's in uh, some trouble because this is as strong as it possibly gets. And Escador's just fucking hyped. He's just like, you're in vain, deluded Demon Lord. Yeah, I'm stay out of this, everybody. This has been a long time coming. He like muscles to muscles up with him, and he's actually a little like the exact same height as the demon lord, but he actually looks a little taller because his head is lifted up in pride. And uh, he just fucking punches the demon lord straight in the face, and they have like a big fist fight. Um, 
I'm gonna kind of hoss fight, hoss fight. I'm going to gloss over this because there's not a ton of like narrative to discuss here. But this is a supremely cool fight because they are just fucking wailing on each other, and uh, it is super cool. Uh, there's a moment where like the demon lord punches him twice, and then he just comes back with a giant headbutt and just fucking knocks him. Uh, but yeah, they're like, I I can't believe it. He's surviving Escanor's attacks. Like, no one's ever really been able to do this. They're like, yeah, but he's still taking damage. Just like the Pokemon League, where Ash's Krabby was just smacking that cloister, and Brock breaking the fourth wall was like, don't stop, Ash! That still takes off HP! I was like, what? (laughs) So HP is a mechanic in the real world? (laughs) Uh, oh, that Kingler, that Kingler was fucking broken as fuck. By I the way, fucking love that Kingler. That's still one of the best episodes of it. Is him beating that one guy's whole fucking team <laughs> with the Krabby. It's fucking. It's so Kingler dumb. use hyper beam. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I just I learned it. <laughs> uh so. Uh, the Demon Lord's still really strong. He's like, you can't win this. And he sees that some of the flames around Escanor are starting to fade, so High Noon is ending. He's like, time's up. And he goes to strike him. He punches in. And we just hear, presumably this is Escanor who's saying this whole thing. He says, my friend, now I will finally fulfill my promise. And he starts to surge with energy while the Demon Lord's fist is stuck inside of his abs. So it looks like uh, Escanor's maybe gonna go supernova here. Mm. He, I mean, he looks as though he's actually gotten even bigger than the Demon Lord in this moment because, like, he's literally like three feet taller than him in this shot, or at the very least, three feet higher than him. Uh, but uh, yeah, he looks like he is going to use explosion essentially. Yeah. We'll see how that turns out. Yep, seems pretty dope. All right, let's go to the Promised Neverland. The Queen has beaten. Everyone in Gielan's forces, they're all dead now, but a new challenger approaches Zazi with their swords. It's chapter 151, the ones to win. So everyone's like, what the hell? It was a, a human here. And uh, Zazi starts going after the queen, uh, slashing with swords and going really uh, pardon me, quickly, taking her off guard. Uh, she's able to fend him off for a little bit, but uh, her face gets uh, scratched and blood starts to come out. And then uh, the other two come out. I don't remember their names. One of them uh, gets the name spoken but later on, but I don't remember it. Anyway, so Barbara is the girl's name, but I don't remember the other guy's name. Uh, so they come in behind her, and uh, we get a flashback that explains that Norman just told them, look, the key to this is the fact that they're – is a regeneration, mutation, strengthening of the body. These all have limits. Cell division brings demons these crazy powers and it uses enormous energy. We learned all this from that demon we had trussed up that we tortured and, and observed his behavior. Hey, we're kind of bad guys too. Uh, so he's like, look, they are still living things. They have a limit and they specialize in instantaneous power. If they don't eat, they can't fight. Don't let them eat meat, not even a piece of a corpse. Do not give them the time to replenish their energy. Just attack and attack and attack. And that's where you have a chance of winning. It's just grinding them down. It's, uh, it's how you beat Goldberg, Chris. You, know, yeah. you, you survive the initial burst of offense and then you just 
Then you just knee him in the gut over and over and over again and just uh, uh, never suck. How that's canonically become the way to beat Goldberg is like you just eat six jackhammers and a couple spears and then he's just gassed and you crush him. <laughs> or also the way to beat Lesnar is just say, hey, dude, dude had a bunch of his intestines removed. Just punch him in the stomach. <laughs> I'm like, that's, that should reason. I'm shocked they've never tried to make a storyline out of it where like you were very infamously beaten in the <laughs> UFC because you lost most of your stomach and people just started punching you there. <laughs> that's why Goldberg was able to beat him so easily, Chris, because he speared him. <laughs> anyway. So it works. The strategy essentially works and they can see it working. They can see that the queen is getting slower uh, and they had been actually observing the fight from the attic. Essentially, they were able to watch her movements and get a feel for her. And uh, so they know now that she's actually slower than she was when she was fighting Gielan's forces. And so they know we can actually beat her. The queen gets another scratch. Uh, it, it immediately like scars over uh, and they're like, I can't break them. How impudent. And uh, she realizes they're not even like, you know, getting suckered in by uh, her leaving openings so that then she can attack them. They're just waiting for her to leave an actual proper opening. So she's like, I've got to eat something. I've got to satisfy my hunger. But they're just carefully watching her and waiting and only attacking when the moment is right. Uh, They're covering Zazie while he handles the offense. And they're like, he's going to finish it for all of us. Zazie can do it. And there's a flash that they have of. I think it's Zazie, like, chained up because there is a weird, demented-looking face on this guy who's got a tattoo, uh, you know, the farm symbol on their chest. So he keeps on going after the queen, uh, and then she just darts around behind him and stabs Barbara through the guts. (laughs) It's actually really cool. She, like, fucking flash steps over to her, and uh, she looks like she's going to just fucking bite her head off but Zazie throws one of his swords cuts her arm off so the Barbara drops to the ground Zazie goes gets really pissed off rushes in on her and she thinks that that's it that's gonna leave an opening but all of a sudden she realizes something uh, and there's a pause and uh, Zazie has uh, gets a chance to stab at her she blocks it with her hands and she tries to do something but it, it doesn't work and uh, they realize uh, something's going on. And then, uh, like, her court start to choke on something. And it's like, oh, there's poison. Cut to outside. And there's also a bunch of demons who are stumbling over and falling as they've also been poisoned. And everyone realizes, ah, it's happened. And we find out that the thing that uh, was told related to Emma and Ray in a previous chapter was that this poison that has been concocted by uh, Vincent... impedes the normal cell division cycle of the demons, destroys their form retaining ability. In other words, it poisons them and induces forced degeneration. So they realize that basically this entire time that they've been in this room, they've been getting poisoned uh, from the point that they drank during the ceremony, the attack that uh, they suffered before and presumably the blades that uh, Zazie and the others carry uh, have uh, poison on them as well. So it's even worked on the queen too, at this point, they weren't sure that it was going to, but apparently it has worked completely perfectly. So the plan is working perfectly according to them at this point. And the queen is like, uh, the queen's been trying to use her bladed fingers uh, and they haven't been coming out. And that's why she's been reacting to her hands 
with surprise. And now they've got this opportunity. They aren't going to give it up. And they just we just cut away from this potentially killing blow. Blood flies up in the air. They say, die, you monster. And that's the end of the chapter. So, yeah, it was a little kind of tough to tell what happened little exactly bit. at the end. I've The way I'm guessing it is... Zazie's mask got taken off and that's what got shredded because it's a very like box shaped thing that we see get slashed and that's why we're kind of seeing like the glowing eyes which I believe is a reference to the fact that we saw him in a silhouette before so mm-hmm. that's like a connection we're about to see what his real face is so is it her is it him saying die you monster or maybe it's her saying die you monster mm-hmm. when she sees what Zazie actually is you know so there's there's some intrigue there. Um, it's cool. I'll admit, though, I really don't care about these characters. So <laughs> like, it's amazing that we had like this this throwaway guy who was just the the bait to wear her down. And it's like, oh, I'm actually really invested in this battle. And there's a lot of cool stuff going on. But yeah. So like, yeah, it, it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't care about Barbara. So when she gets stabbed through the gut, it's kind of like, OK, cool. Is there one less character I have to pay attention to? When um, she got stabbed, I was just like, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and, and, a, and a lot of people have been tweeting us about the fact that the manga was asked about, like made a, a reference to the fact that they don't particularly actually emphasize story or characters. They're more interested in the story. And maybe that explains mm-hmm. why some of the characters have felt weaker. I don't entirely buy it, per se. I, I think there is more of an emphasis on building a good story than maybe creating characters. But, I mean, we can clearly tell that some of the characters created have been very good and then some other ones have it. So maybe you could chalk it up to like, well, they just intentionally aren't trying. But I, I don't buy that. Especially the ones that we have the biggest complaints about are like, why didn't Emma care about those like six kids that got killed that didn't even get names? Like... I mean, you can't say you're not trying on that because that's the entire fucking premise of the character. She cares about everybody. Yeah. So I they just also talked a lot that. about. They also talked a lot about how Emma's great and stuff, and some qualities about her. Um, yeah. I mean, look, *Promised Neverland* is not a perfect series. It's, there's a lot of good stuff in it, but we're able to also see like, hey, this part of it is not so great. And this chapter to me was a lot less interesting than pre- than the previous so stuff that we've gotten so far. Like. Zazie shows up and it's like, all right, these guys, we got to deal with these guys. Yeah. Oh, so. right. This. Yeah. Uh, all right, Nick, let's talk about Black Clover, page 221, the Blue Roses Confession. So uh, the weird adjustment last chapter ended with Charlotte from the Blue Roses <laughs> screaming and running for five straight pages. Uh, and then this chapter is like, all right, now we're going to take it seriously. Yeah. And now we've got to talk about how. Oh, no. Yeah. She's dealing with her love for Yami. Yeah, she actually has to address this. She's talking. She's like, I can't acknowledge it. I kept fighting as the captain of the only woman, only magic knight brigade. Uh, I, I, but I have to handle this. So she, you know, she gets changed. She gets in her outfit. She assembles uh, what I guess is the entirety of the the blue knights. It doesn't seem like there's very with many all of, of the them. with all with all the blue rose knights that we've come to know over the course of the series, like Soul and. Others, <laughs> assorted others. Uh, and she's like, hey, I need to talk to you guys. You know, we pride ourselves on being the only woman only magic night gang. And we exclude, I should say gang, brigade. Uh, and we exclude the strength of men. And therefore, me just saying this 
might require me to resign as captain. But I like Yami! And she proclaims that. She's like, I've tried to erase these feelings, but I am hopelessly in love with him. And there's silence amongst the crowd. And she's like, yeah, I knew it. They'd never accept me until everyone's like, yay! Oh, that's so cool! And... I kind of what like a it. What a, gr- what a grand reveal this is that all these characters that we were told definitely didn't like men are like, yay. It was like, it's kind of the air, the issue of like, we've never seen any of them before that's like, okay. Well, I kind of <laughs> like it in the way that it's addressed that maybe only those two are on this. Everyone else is like, yeah, it's kind of nice that there's a woman only group. You know, it's a nice place for us to feel empowered. But we never really felt like there was a need to hate men or anything else like that. Because yeah. one of the other women's like, I got a boyfriend too. I didn't really kind of kept a secret. I didn't realize we were supposed to hate men. Like everyone's just like, they're super happy for. Like, I like that idea that everyone else is just like, nah, I mean, I think, you know, it's kind of cool. But I never had like a big issue with it or anything like that. Uh, so yeah, everyone's like, you should tell them. We're so excited. You got to express yourself. She's like, ah, uh, well, I guess I'll tell them. And then, of course, Yami and Asta show up. And he's like, oh, hey, I found her. And they're like, oh, my God, what unbelievable timing. So all the girls, like, push Charlotte forward. Like, you got to tell him. You got to tell him. And uh, she starts whispering something. And Yami's like, oh, well, uh, don't worry. I already know how you feel. You know, uh, it's you've got that indescribable one-of-a-kind key. I make you uncomfortable, don't I? You know, but it doesn't, it's not okay that she still ran away screaming because it would wound my sensitive heart. And <laughs> everyone is like, oh my god, he's an idiot. <laughs> he doesn't clearly see that there's something else going on there. And she's like, oh no, what am I going to do? I, I can't, I can't speak. I can't form the words unless I say something. He'll get the wrong idea. And it's like, I think you're wrong. I think she's, I don't think she's uncomfortable around you. And they're like, finally, Asta's here to add reason and knowledge. He's like, her not, her key feels a lot like Noelle's. It's not that she dislikes you, it's that she trusts you. And the more she trusts you, the harder it is for her to tell things. And I'm just like, Asta coming in. You're like, so close. <laughs> he's like, I know how women are. He's like, let me tell you other things. The myth Let me tell you about the time I went on a group date and met this girl, Rebecca. <laughs> let me tell She's you. She's very important to me. <laughs> let me tell you about the myth of the female orgasm. <laughs> you see, women don't actually like it when you try and go down on them. <laughs> They just think it's pathetic. They enjoy giving pleasure to men, but orally they don't enjoy receiving any. It's just how their brain's codified. Anyway, they prefer to be barefoot and pregnant. <laughs> he still interjects always like he's been. <laughs> Brian, my brain force. <laughs> uh, yeah, so basically he's just like, so yeah, it's embarrassing. It's hard to say. You just act the way you always do. So neither of them really get it. But Noel or Charlotte's like, clearly there's something you want to talk to me about. So why don't we discuss it over dinner? And they cut to the actual core of the matter where they're like, yeah, uh, I've been cursed. And it's kind of like a special magic. There's no way to break it. And it's, it you know, it interferes with my magic and it can make it very dangerous. It, it makes me very dangerous. And... You know, it was probably a curse that was used that kind of has its source traced to the, you know, another world, presumably, where the demons come from, or the devils, rather. And she's like, I don't know any more than that. And actually, I'm kind of concerned because there's a member of your team that has a way stronger curse than I have. 
and we cut over to Noelle, who is going to visit Dorothy, uh, Dorothy Unsworth, the captain of the Coral Peacocks. The woman who trapped them in the dream when she was possessed by an elf. Yes. And they got around it by being like, I'm imagining a thing! <laughs> so, presumably Noelle's the one they're talking about, which... I mean, I feel like a curse added on top is sort of an unnecessary way to explain, like, oh, she just had control controlling her magic, but maybe they could do something interesting with it. I don't know. Yeah, because Noelle is uh, going to talk to uh, Dorothy about her mother and the devils. Yes. Mm. So So maybe it has to do maybe it has to do with, uh, you know, the fact that her mother died. Uh, as opposed to something that's affecting her personally. Sure. So it it might be something. It might be someone different too. It's just the way it's set up would suggest that she's referring to Noel because that's who we the first member of the Black Bulls we directly see afterwards. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this chapter wasn't awful. It's just not particularly good. I'm not super happy with the way they address the whole like liking Yami thing. Like I like that the the Blue Rose Knights are like. Yeah, it's cool, whatever, but it's sort of this weird thing that we still have hanging over that's like, oh, well, she hasn't actually confessed to Yami, and it's a will they, won't they. It's just like, it's kind of a weak thing to be still going on. Don't really care about it. Never really have. Um, But, I mean, yeah, this chapter was like, it was okay. All right. Okay, One Piece, chapter 956, big news. And Chris, there is actually big news going around everywhere. And we see it's one of those chapters where we kind of like cut around all over the place to see, you know, what's going on. And you see people hearing about this and see people reacting to it. And um, what is that big news, Chris? Uh, We don't know yet. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We'll find that at some point. Uh, It has to do with Sabo. That is basically all we know. It's a bad thing, uh, seemingly. But that's really all we know about it. So, did Sabo die? (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) The implication seems to be that maybe that's the way they're going to portray the story or something like that. Because we cut around to a lot of people who know Sabo and they seem really saddened by the news. Yeah. But we also know Big News Morgan specifically had to fight to get this version of the story out. Like, this, the Cypher Bowl yeah. tried to silence it, so... It's cool. actually a really weird and fu- and funny and cool scene that happens. Uh, we, we, we start things off with, like, Garp and uh, the people from uh, the, the uh, Fishman Island uh, leaving. Uh, and uh, he's, you know, he's still talking with them, and he's like, ah, uh, you know, I... I, there's something that I that I, I actually have to tell you about. Um, there's an incident regarding the kingdom of Alabasta. And of course, uh, Rebecca is gets distressed because, of course, her new friend, Vivi, has something happened with her. Mm. There's a lot of like allusions to the fact that things happened and mm-hmm. it's it sets up a lot of cool things. But at the same time, like, I want to know, <laughs> do I have to wait till the end of act three to find out what happened? I mean, admittedly, we do get a bombshell actually dropped in this chapter that we do learn about. And it's got massive implications for the series. But it is a little bit weird that we just get this. Oh, my God, this is the thing that everyone is primarily talking about. That's got big stuff going on that we don't find out about it. Um, 
if they're related, maybe it has to do with like, I don't know, maybe they say that like Sabo killed Vivi or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, we cut to um, the freaking World Economic Journal and Morgan's is there and he's like, there's been a fatality and you know, oh, this, you know, this is going to sell a lot of papers. But the vault results are, were fantabulous, too, and attempted murder thrilling stuff. And uh, like a, they get a telegram that's like, yeah, yeah, I got stuff that's from the government. And he's like, oh, wow, look at all the money in this check. They want me to cover up something. But uh, nope. They want me to send out a story this big. I'll never do that. And uh, the, yeah, the guy who delivered the telegram is actually a cypherpole agent. He's, he's like, you've got to do what we say, Morgan. And he holds him at gunpoint and they cut outside and the, and the, like the headquarters is like, you know, shaking around. You hear blam, 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 ah, cypherpole. And then he comes back inside and he's beating the guy up. <laughs> I just like the idea that Big Bird was like knocking some dude out. I was just like, yeah, I'm going to tell what story I want. <laughs> I love this line because he's like, I may be a money-hungry Scrooge, but first and foremost, I'm a journalist. I have pride. That will make me money. (laughs) It's such a one-piece thing for this guy to be like, I love money and I'm corrupt as fuck, but I'm printing this story, damn it, it's the truth. (laughs) So he declares that they, uh, you know, they're... Their their positions basically have been compromised, so they're going to move their quarters, and it's like this hot air balloon, so they just take off and go to move somewhere else. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, and he's like, hey, if they want me to cover this up, fuck it. I'm definitely printing this shit, and we see, we cut around to see a bunch of people reacting to stuff. Uh, Koala is really upset about this. She's like, please don't let this be true. Um, Makino, the bartender from way back at the start of the series, the one that uh, basically raised Luffy after a certain point, she is distraught uh, over some of the news. Uh, And apparently all the people who are hanging out have heard about it, too, and they're upset because they can't even have a drink to process the issue. Yeah. Um, Then... We briefly cut over to, first off, Doflamingo, who's like, oh, man, things are getting good now, laughing in his cell. Then we cut over to Blackbeard, who is like, all right, everyone onto the ship. If the Navy's going to take, only going to take it, I might as well claim the prize. Hmm. I don't know what he's referring to right now. Neither do I. I. Part of me is wondering... Because as we find out in a moment, like Drake is a mole for Kaido. <laughs> so I'm wondering if like the idea is that the Navy's going to come in into this fight and Blackbeard will insert himself afterwards. But it's probably more likely, honestly, now that I think about it, that the news is that Sabo was captured. And Blackbeard's like, oh, well, I'm going to help myself to that fire fruit because mm-hmm. that shit was pretty strong. Possibly. Uh, oh, that would be something, I guess. If, I don't know if I, if I wanted to go into it, the it, it don't makes, just don't just do don't just do like another impel down. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it makes sense, though, with the way it's phrased. If the Navy's only going to take it, I might as well claim the prize. And the news seems to be sad. I doubt it's that Sabo's dead. But it might be them saying that Sabo's dead. Mm-hmm. For Keeping him captive. Yeah, and but it's him definitely saying, like, I might as well claim it. If they're just going to take it, I might as well claim it. So that, that yeah, seems to we'll make see. the most sense. Yeah, then we see Kobe contacting someone. 
Uh, and it turns out that, yeah, he's talking with X-Drake. And we get a, a new introduction for both of them, saying that they are high-ranking members of S.W.O.R.D., that uh, X-Drake is top-secret Special Force captain of it, and that uh, Koei is uh, just a member of it, and he's a rear admiral for the uh, Navy headquarters. Uh, so... There was a whole thing that I had to look up because I forgot about it, that X-Drake was like a former Marine who then became a pirate. And yeah. so no one really knew why he became a pirate. Well, it turns out it's apparently just so that he could be, you know, a mole for the Navy. So they're exchanging information. It makes a lot of sense with the way it's been kind of framed. Um, but yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. And it also is, seems to actually be a pretty big deal that Kobe's a rear admiral now. That's like the next highest position underneath vice admiral so he's advancing really quickly yeah this dude's like this dude went from like being a new recruit to a rear admiral in like three years so <laughs> i guess it makes sense that they're like he trained under garp so that's why but yeah uh it's also got hockey and stuff so uh he said he basically reports to Kobe a bunch of the stuff that's going on in Wano uh, in this current arc and kind of catches him up on stuff. But he also says there's one more foreboding bit of news in the capital the other day. I saw CP zero. Oh, are they in Wano? I don't know, like the implications it means the government's coming to pirate led Wano to conduct deals of some kind. My blank mind went blank for minutes after I saw it. And uh, and then Sabo, not Sabo, sorry, Kobe says that he is going to make his way to the Island of Women to capture the pirate Empress Boa Hancock. Hmm. What is that about? Uh, and we get more cutting around of the stuff about news that's broken out. But there's one story that stunned all who heard it. Most of all, one of the three great powers of the world, the seven warlord system is being dissolved. Huh? So. All the current warlords are having to deal with the fallout of that. Apparently, it was something that had a lot to do with uh, Riku and, um, I don't know, Alabaster. Yeah. Was it Neferity? Neferity? Yeah, something like that. Whatever. Uh, bring up, hey, we got really screwed over because these, guys, these two warlords fucked us. So they put it to a vote. And the nations declared that the seven nations, the seven warlords have been resolved, dissolved. So we first see Buggy being approached by the Navy. And he's like, this is ridiculous. You just declare me one of the seven warlords. And now you're saying you want to arrest me? No, there's no honor in this. So a bunch of his men are like, what should we do? Should we run away? And he's like, we're going to fight like hell. And they're like, yeah, Chairman Buggy. And in the meantime, I'm going to run away. <laughs> <laughs> I do uh, love that Buggy, because Buggy's like the weird one on the group where they're like, yes, uh, everyone else is a super strong warrior. And Buggy's just like, yeah, no. they're like getting confronted by Marines. And it's basically like the final two pages are just different warlords to be like, they're here to capture us. Well, obviously, I, we're going to fight them. You know, it's that kind of thing. And he's like, Let's forgive them. Hell, I'm going to run away. <laughs> um. We see Mihawk is just kind of like calmly sitting as they approach the island that uh, Zoro did his training on. I guess we're going that Perona would still be there, wouldn't she? No, she left. She left, didn't she? She left the island with Zoro to bring him back to everybody, but I don't know if she returned there. Oh, maybe she or not. I don't know. We don't see her. We just see him sitting on the throne, and he's actually like looking forward to it because, like, oh, I'm finally being chased again. And we see Weevil. 
and uh, his grand grandmother or mother or something is just go like, I can kill them all. Okay. And then we see Hancock and she actually gets kind of a cool line because they're like, oh, there's Navy ships approaching. And she says, well, don't don't panic. You seem to have forgotten the reason they chose us to be the seven warlords was for our strength. So there you go. A lot of stuff happened in this chapter outside of Wano. And some of it's really interesting, but it's really it is kind of really annoying to see that. that what happened with Sabo? Mm. <laughs> anyway, here's this other stuff. Well, that's One Piece for you. Yeah, there's some pretty interesting things going on here. Uh, We've kind of been at this place where the moment we take a break from the Wano story, we get a bunch of really crazy stuff about the story. And then we go back to Wano, which feels like a real big cock tease because I feel like the next chapter is not going to be addressed. Well, actually, no, sometimes we get a couple chapters, so maybe we'll get like another chapter of this. But I feel like very quickly we're going to jump back into Wano and I'm going to be like, I want more of this. Poor Buggy. Yeah. Cool stuff's going on with them. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for Week of Manga Recap. Uh, let's uh, declare our favorites for this week. Favorite chapter in MVP. Uh, you go first. I am going to go with uh, Yozakura Family uh, because I thought that it was just a really intense chapter from beginning to end. A lot of cool stuff happening, opens up possibilities. I will actually give a small note that I was very surprised by uh, Samurai 8, but I was not enjoying the chapter up until the moment where he actually enacted his really stupid plan that worked incredibly well. Um, but as a fan, was just a much more solid chapter overall. And my character of the week is going to Aruka because, come on, like she, she, she was so good in this. I think I'm going to give my chapter of the week to dr stone because i Mm. really enjoyed this week's chapter and i thought it was pretty exciting um i'm gonna give my mvp i think i'm gonna give it to diane i think escanor probably looked cooler but diane has really needed a moment to look cool Mm. and i think she got a pretty solid one so i'm gonna give it to her and they're there was also a lot more like character dramatic stuff going on with her as opposed to just like, look at her punch that guy. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe next chapter is going to be a really good one for Escanor. Um, I, I would hope so. And the audience picked one piece as their chapter of the week. And they agreed with you with Aruka from we never learned being their character of the week. All right. Well, guys, that's going to do it for week of manga recap this week. Uh, thank you for joining us for this extra long episode. Uh, and yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff I normally do to sign us off, but instead I'm just going to say, Chris, it's, it's time for Halloween month. It's time for whatever the hell you're planning on doing. But um, Nick, don't oh no. you mean Halloween month? <laughs> That's exactly what I said. You just said it a little differently. Don't you mean spook friendly? I don't even know what words those were. You just put spooky in front of something. Okay. When Do you have a recommendation that we're going to read for next week, Chris? Dear Nicholas, of course I do. For this is we, actually pretty good. We will be reading Harum and. A horror comedy series. Woo! Did you say it's called Harem End? 
Harrowment. It's called Harrowment, but I'm trying to force horror into it. And I wanted to do several other spooky suggestions, but they were all very long. The scariest thing of all, not reading the whole thing in time. (laughs) All right. Uh, That's what we're going to read for next time. Know nothing about it. Cool. I hope. I, I, Special I'm, thanks, everyone. I'm gonna be Go kind of sad because I won't be seeing you guys for a little bit. Because yeah, starting you, you next ten, week, you is you'll when, just take the entire month off. Yeah, to, I, uh, I take the month back. off for some personal time, and filling in for me is going to be the Spookmaster <laughs> General, as everyone recalls. So I look forward to that. Your suspiciously identical-looking uh, coworker. <laughs> hey. All right. Special thanks to everyone out there who helps us make the show what it is. For those of us who support us on Patreon, Infamous Planet, uh, Steve Manotakaris, Ninjax3i, who maintains all the stuff, Winsdale Cheddar, uh, who made the opening sequence with... Oh, man. Almost had everyone. But, but, but... What's his fucking name? Milo Jack Stoltz? Milo Jack Stoltz, yes. That's everyone. Goodbye. Woo!